0: This is episode one hundred and twenty nine. Hot shot Scott Mitch unfiltered.
1: I think for the show, we should just play me being correct on my Bucks pick, and then I can just go home early. Do you think that's going to change the narrative that
0: Scott doesn't know anything about sports <laughs> no, t- because you happen to pick the Bucks <laughs> and your reasoning was
1: yeah, I'm a genius because no. it's hard to. Go back to back for
0: whatever reason. It's it just is. hard to go back to back. So you decided the Bucks were going to win. Maybe it was the tail of the tape on Thursday's show, where I showed you that there's never been in tail of the tape history a team that had equal offenses, a good offense yeah. and a good. They were both. Remember, sixty-five. Where lower is better. That's right. yep. They both were sixty. The Bucks offense was a sixty-five, and the Bucks defense was a sixty-five. And I told you, and I said, even though I picked the Chiefs, and 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 the Levy family lost. Um, tuition on
1: the Chiefs. <laughs> oh boy. Um, the meal plans getting pulled away. Just a complete
0: away. football team. Yeah. A complete football team. Offensive where's the weakness? Right. After watching the Super Bowl you tell me where's the weakness on the Bucks team? Yeah. They're good offensively they're good defensively. Yeah. And that's and so you had it. I, yeah, I Thank you very Scott. much. Now me Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. No. Nah. Had the Chiefs pick the Chiefs as I, as I tweeted out, Max Levy came home from the u He's in the midst of his second quarter freshman year at u to watch the Super Bowl at home with his family. Nice. Who he can't stand. And, <laughs> I got one of those. <laughs> and uh, uh, dad had the Chiefs minus three. Yeah. And I've yet to inform him that he's to, <laughs> he's to uh, report to Bellevue College right, pack, for the <laughs> remainder of quarter number two.
1: Pack your stuff, kid. Yeah, the ride is over. Yeah. But doesn't that affect – oh. don't you kind of hate that in a way, though, because you're just kind of irritated the whole game? I love, I mean,
0: well, I love having a little something on the well, game. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. a game of that magnitude.
1: And I, truth be
0: told, at first I was going to bet the over, and then I realized halfway through the week that the public likes the Chiefs and the public likes the over, mm-hmm. and the public – Beano Cook used to say – that's why, they send their, that, that's why they live in big houses and send their kids to Ivy League schools because they know better. So right. they win more than we win. And I was like, no. And, and I certainly wasn't going to do a parlay, and you and I could have the conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm anti. I don't, I don't bet parlays. Never. You just can't stand them?
1: You just think it's— I am anti-parlay. Maybe isn't it kind of fun to throw 10 bucks on a five-team parlay to see if you can parlay your money into something? I, first of all, I would never do that.
0: <laughs> I've never
1: done it, and I would never do it kind of fun every time i've done it though i if I, get- I was
0: ever gonna bet ten dollar a ten dollar five team parlay yeah. i would take ten dollars fifty dollars and take ten dollars separate bets on all five so that i know if i go three and two i'm a winner if i go four and one i'm a winner how are you doing it four and one on a five team <laughs> parlay you just hit 80 percent. i mean think about the insanity of that yeah the greatest sports gambler in the world yeah. hits like fifty-four <laughs> percent. Right. Now you're gonna hit eighty and lose. Yeah. You're gonna hit eighty that does percent hurt. against the spread and lose. And lose yeah. When the greatest sports gambler in the world <laughs> hits fifty-five percent, right? Yeah, that's true. You you wanna give your money away on eighty. You wanna say to the sports books, hey guys. 80's not good. You can have my money if I go eight. If I go 4-1 and one against the spread, you guys win. That's
1: but it's, what you want to do. It's Sunday afternoon. I'm in Vegas, and I only have $10. Again. So I don't even have here, Here's what I'd say today. If you
0: can't <laughs> afford to bet the game straight yeah. in your parlay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you probably
1: shouldn't be in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah yeah, but people you play roulette. Look at yourself in the mirror. Hey, I mean, Roulette 30, 38 to one. I mean, people play all kinds of nonsense. Oh, I, of course they
0: do.: Yeah yeah, yeah. I'm so. just saying, but I'm really talking about a two-team parlay. Yeah, I, yeah.
1: I just I, I
0: would sit I, I think I could convince you in about a five-minute conversation, yeah, to never play a two-team parlay ever again. You well, get 13 to five, you get 13 to five. Yeah, it's tempting. You, if you're going to bet a $100 parlay of two teams, you bet 100 dollars on one team. And then you bet hundred dollars on the other. If you win both, you win two hundred instead of two sixty. Yeah. But what do the percentages say? <laughs> right. You're going to go one and one. <laughs> right. And on one and one, if you <laughs> want to keep handing the sports book your money at fifty percent, by the way, you can't. It's ninety nine point nine percent can't even go fifty percent. Right. You go 48, But 40, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: The, the best is but when I'm you not have gonna go off when of. you have a five team parlay. Right, exactly. yeah. and, and you lose the first. And then you're just like out for the, the other four don't even matter. No, I'm matter. not a parlay guy. Yeah. No, no parlay. You don't have to convince me. No, I mean, parlay. I feel like now, it was tough to had work. I
0: bet a parlay had I in the Super Bowl on Sunday night, I would have bet, as it turns out, I started to like the under, like the under, like the under, like the, I probably would have bet the Chiefs in the under, and I would have lost. So I just put all the money on the Chiefs, and I lost.
1: <laughs> I'd love the betting advice from you tonight after a big loss. loss Thank you for big that. Loss, What could I tell you? This is us not talking about the Super Bowl. I would the tees, lo- that's right. right. Yeah. We're not allowed to talk yeah,
0: about yeah. the Super Bowl and the T's. Um I will, uh, you know, it's, it's episode 129. Yep. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Listen to our podcast, wherever podcasts are played and seen and found, right? Yep. Hit the subscribe button. The Mondays ones are free, right? Tell a friend. Tell someone Please who like Please tell it. a yeah. friend. Sports fans. I actually got an email that I was going to read, but I scrapped it at the last minute. We'll read it on, Thursday, uh, on Thursday's P-Show. Okay. Uh, I got the, op- I got my, I think my first ever opposite email you know we always get the emails like i didn't even know you guys had a podcast oh. i loved john kjr yeah i hated john kjr i didn't i didn't <laughs> know you had a podcast. you know we always get that one yeah, and we yeah. always shake our heads i actually got one this week i never heard of you on kjr but i love the podcast wow I wish I had known. I've been living here all my life.
1: <laughs> How come nobody told me you were on KJR? You're like officially into the uh, 21st century. Uh, you're you're a podcaster yeah. instead of an old radio hack. Welcome. <laughs> God. Right.
0: So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. If you'd like to become a patron, we do extra shows each week. We did a new Seahawks No Table this week. You're going to do some comedian and some more music shows. Yep. We're going to always have a peace show, which is another full show that's released on Thursdays. $5 a month. You go to MitchUnfiltered.com, click the button, and become a patron uh hi Mitch I I I love this email can I can I can I reel it in Normally, I read emails that hate us and hate you oh, and hate me. Specifically me, yes. Can, can I reel it in and read one that really touched my heart for so many reasons? Please do. Or will you just
1: joke about it and move No, on? in fact, I have an RIP later that's, I think, going to touch your emotion. heart. You're not well, a very I am dead guy. inside, but I will placate you <laughs> and let you be emotional. <laughs> I, I literally
0: am ready to scrap it. If you say scrap it, it's not it's not appropriate for the tenor of the show. It's a, it's a very emotional note.
1: Sorry, there is a tenor for the show? No. Okay, go ahead. Read it. Sure. <laughs>
0: Hi, Mitch. First, I wanted to thank you for the podcast and your years on KJR. I'm a 34-year-old Mormon software sales guy that moved to SLC from the Bay Area but grew up in Seattle from ages 12 to 27. Formative years. I listened to KJR every morning and evening. I never thanked you for this, but as I reflect upon my younger years, Mitch in the morning played a real positive role for me growing up. When I was 13... I ended up going to a new school and had zero friends. I very much felt like Smalls from Sandlot. To top it off, my new buddies knew a ton about every sport, especially college football. I didn't know shit, (laughs) he writes. Nice. My family always cheered for either UW or BYU, but I couldn't tell you the difference between Steve Ventman and Steve Young. Nice. (laughs) My grandparents took me to Husky games since I was five, Hmm. But it wasn't until I was 13-year-old struggling to find friends that I actually started to care. And right about that time, I watched some dumb TV ad for KJR talking about how you would impress coworkers at the water cooler if you listen to sports talk radio. Do you remember that one? I don't think I remember that one. I don't remember that. Did I it work?
1: I was- <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. Did anybody listen?
0: Yeah. I took the advice. Every morning as I got ready for school, I listened to good old Mitch. My sports knowledge grew to be able to make new friends and feel included. But what I really appreciated about your show was when you had Bino Cook on. Bino's knowledge of college football and how he told stories about the game allowed me to connect with my grandparents like I had never had. We went to countless Husky games after I started getting into sports and Husky football. That continued for years until my grandfather passed away just before, a month before, the Huskies had gone to the 2019 Rose Bowl. A game he loved more than other, any other game, thanks to Mitch in the Morning and Beano Cook. I understood why my grandpa loved that Rose Bowl game so much. In fact, I made sure I went to that 2019 Rose Bowl. Hmm. Unfortunately, my grandpa wasn't well enough to attend. It brought a lot of fun and levity to my life and allowed me to connect with people that matter most to me. Keep trucking with the podcast, Ryan.
1: This email has everything to touch your heart. It's got Beano Cook. It's got. No, are you just
0: doing this right now? You set me up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's got old people. It's got everything. I mean, I I see why it touched you. No, I'm not setting
0: you up. I see it. I got to tell you, I get a a lot of good ones. I get some bad ones. I get some some go away. I get some how dare what you did, yada, yada, yada. This one this week really moved me. It really moved me. There's just a lot going on in this one that really resonates with me. I know about father, son. I uh, I don't know about father, grandfather, because I never really knew one. Mm -hmm. But it's just... This this email moved me, so I wanted to thank I wanted to thank Ryan, and I wanted to read it to you on the show.
1: It's very you. sweet. I'm, I'm very very sweet. I'm glad you wrote it. No, I, I, I wrote it. I didn't write. write oh yeah, it. yeah, I'm glad, glad you read a, it. Well, do we know? <laughs> do we know? No, I I couldn't write that.
0: <laughs> I couldn't write that. Believe me, I wouldn't go down the Mormon trail. <laughs>
1: yeah, I right. I, I wouldn't think of that. By the way, a curse word from a from a Mormon. How fella. about that? I like that. Yeah, yeah. good for him. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, so there you go.
1: Yeah, no, that that's I'm very sweet. I'm glad to touch your heart. I got a couple. I got a couple, got a couple of shitty tweets after the game, <laughs> and so I, I I could use a little of that myself. Okay, you know?
0: so if anybody's listening <laughs> for episode 130, could you please send one for
1: Hot Shot? You can make it up too send if you it
0: want, to. Send it to Mitch at I will read the best Hot Shot complimentary note not that true. we can find. And if I don't get a good one, I, if I don't get a good one, I'll write a good one myself, and I'll pretend <laughs> to be a Mormon who lived in Seattle <laughs> nice. during the T Man years. <laughs> good.
1: <laughs> maybe he thought he was writing the t-man i don't know oh maybe God.
0: guests on this episode 129 we've got a we've got a good show i'm gonna go backwards okay okay the third guest on the show is a guy named ryan clark all right now some people who are really sports nicks, not like you yeah right would would think ryan clark ryan clark oh former defensive back who's always on espn he's one of the talking heads Talking about the NFL. Okay. So Steelers. No, they're not that Ryan Clark. All right. Different Ryan Clark. Ryan Clark was a, a member for a while of the Tacoma News Tribune. He covered the Washington Huskies. Okay. And then he moved away. He's really a hockey guy who ended up covering, I believe, the Colorado Avalanche right. of the NHL. He has recently been hired by The Athletic. You know The Athletic. I love The Athletic. Yes, you do. To come back to Seattle to be The Athletic's main guy. On the NHL Seattle Kraken. Nice. And I have been receiving lots of emails. Hey Mitch, you asked what what you should talk about and interview topics and yeah. topics now that football. Please talk about the Kraken. <laughs> and I love saying the Kraken. You do. Yeah. And so uh, Ryan Clark, who just moved back to town and is a real hockey guy. I'm going to embarrass the living daylights out of myself right. with Ryan Clark. Nice. And so uh, our third interview segment.
1: I'm sure we'll hear, but is like are things happening? Is our like, practices yeah. oh, and yeah. personnel? And like it's all cooking? No, and-
0: we, we don't have any players yet, okay, well, so you I can't have, have I practices. Have no, I have no clue. You know less than me. Less than I you, I found yeah. somebody who knows. Well, you know, they're it's hot shot. Yeah, that's true. You I don't mean, know anything sports. about sports. <laughs> sports. <laughs> sports. No, they don't have a team yet. So there's nothing an going expan- on. yes, there's plenty going on. Okay. Expansion draft is coming. Okay, well that's in July. Yeah. All right. And then they're gonna raid other teams. Don't you remember how the Vegas team yeah. did after they raided all the teams? They won it in their first, first year. <laughs> <laughs> like, how is that possible? A little different than the Seattle Seahawks <laughs> when they were in expansion. <laughs> that's team. right, yeah. Right.
1: Who so, was the head coach then? When Whoa. who who was? The, Jack Patera. Look at you. You do like sports. Nice one.
0: You just told me, you texted me that you were going to ask me that question (laughs) on the way
1: over. That's right. His brother, Ken Patera, the professional wrestler. See? I love sports. I love sports. sports.
0: Professional wrestling count? (laughs) No, not at all. Duff the road. (laughs) I am the American dream. (laughs) That's all I know because on Saturday, I would turn on... This local ABC affiliate in 1975, and they would have this Husky, they would have this wrestling show, and I hated yeah. it. Oh, really? Because I hated re- wrestling. I didn't, I just wanted sports. I was like, I wonder if this weekend, da, 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 I remember this week in baseball. <laughs> Hello, yeah. friends. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this week in baseball. Um, Mel Allen, I was, I, w- I would turn on for that, and I'd get this, this and Duff the Roads was oh. always on the show. This, this. I don't it's, mean Gene, something or other. Was mean it. Gene
1: Okerlund. Yeah, you're yeah. probably watching Mid South or yeah. Was it Mid Atlantic or Mid South? Maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, then Vince McMahon poached all the good, like yeah, Mean Gene know, and I, Dusty I and all that. I don't know how
0: it happened, but I know Dusty Rhodes and Andre the Giant. That's it's shocking
1: that Dusty Rhodes somehow became a fan favorite with that physique.
0: I mean, yeah, he was fat. Uh, he was a fatso. But so was, in, so, so was Andre the Giant. Dusty wasn't so 7'5", five. 500 pounds,
1: though. I mean, good God. Right, so
0: the third <laughs> guest is Ryan Clark. Nice. Hockey. The second guest, uh, I had a great time with the second guest. You won't know him by name. His name is Mike Tolan, T-O-L-L-I-N. He's an Academy Award-nominated filmmaker. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yes. He won an Academy Award nomination, didn't win the award. Okay. For a movie, a, a documentary called Hank Aaron Chasing the Dream. And gotcha. I saw it years and years and years ago. When when I heard that Hank Aaron had died, mm-hmm. I said to myself... I got to get whoever made that movie. Now, what I didn't know is, have you ever heard of Smallville, the TV show? Sure. He did that. Have you ever heard of Arliss? Yes. Executive producer of that. You ever heard of Varsity Blues? Of course. Executive producer of that. Ever heard of The Last Dance starring Michael Jordan, a (laughs) 10-part series? Yes. Executive Michael Jordan's not the executive. He's the... He's the filmmaker who made them all. He's done T. He's got a hundred, a hundred credits to his name. Yeah. TV major motion pictures. Doc. He loves documentaries. Sports, obviously. He, I mean, he loves- a lot of sports. Yeah, yes, yeah. He grew up in Philadelphia. Sports fan. He's a huge Sixers fan. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to his people. They got right back to me. They oh, said, great. "Oh, God, you guys got a lot of stars on your <laughs> Apple podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> you guys are four point nine stars. Yeah. This is why I keep telling people to leave us a review and a rating because, and this is true." People will say to me, hey, I'll say, can I get Mike Tolan on? And he'll say, can you tell us, can you give us the link to your to your podcast? And we'll send him the link of the Apple podcast. And yeah. as soon as they go, they see the rating. Right. They see what people are reviewing, what people are saying. They see how many people have reviewed it. And that's the way a lot of these marketing people and a lot of agents decide whether, okay, is this a good show to go on or not? Yeah. And so this is why I ask you. To, to leave 10, 12 re- reviews each person. 10 or 12 right. persons <laughs> So that we have some reviews. So if five people leave 12 each, that's
1: 60 more. I bet you some famous people got burned early on in the podcast world with like two high schoolers in their basement of doing a podcast. And that's <laughs> what we are. But I, but... <laughs> You trick them somehow. I yeah. like it.
0: So Mike Tolan is Great. interview number two talking about Hank Aaron, talking about the Jordan series, talking about all cool. kinds of sports. All right. But the first guest is the guest that I think people will – Literally, people who have never heard our podcast before might listen. All right, and that's
1: Chris Hansen. Do you remember Chris Hansen? I do. Yes, my brother-in-law used to work with him. As a matter of fact, is that true? Yeah, they ran in the same circles in San Francisco. Really? Yeah, he worked for a that's firm. A small world. Called- your 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 wife's brother? My wife's brother. Yeah. Really? Yeah, he's like he runs in that hedge fund wow. money management world. Wow. He said he hasn't talked to him in ten years. But okay, neither he, had I. But he <laughs> he told me he goes. The people who who told me about him say he's very very smart. And I tend to believe him. (laughs) He's a
0: billionaire, so he's doing pretty well for himself. He's Mm -hmm. the Seattle. People don't need me to tell you who Chris is. He's the guy who was leading a charge, not the charge. A charge. To bring the Sonics back, to bring the NBA back. And he's the guy who put the group together with the Nordstroms. Russell Wilson's in the group. Wally Walker's in the group. Nice, okay. okay, They put the group. At one point, Steve Ballmer was in the group. They were going to try to bring the Kings. You remember? They took a oh, run yeah. at the Kings and missed it by that much. Kevin Johnson and stepped want, in. And he wants to build the arena in Soto, not the one at Seattle Center. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit controversial because he needs a little bit of the Occidental
1: Street. Right, right. He
0: wants to build this palace on private money, no public money. And do the whole thing, and now the thing's happening. Well, he hasn't spoken publicly in two years about this. I was just going to say I don't feel like I've heard from him for a while. Two years. Okay. And, and so not only has he not spoken in two years, then that means he hasn't spoken since Adam Silver's talked about expansion. Adam Silver's talked about Seattle. Yeah. Adam Silver's talked about even the Seattle Arena, the, uh, the new Climate Pledge Arena where the hockey team's going in. So I reached out and I got a, a, a immediately heard, you know, he's not, he's laying, we're laying low and there's really not much to talk about. I said, nah, I think, and I pushed. Okay. And here he is. Great. 40 minutes. I think it's the most revealing interview you will ever have heard Chris Hansen do about the plan is still the plan. They still want to be there for the NBA. If the NBA, whoever the owner of the new franchise will be, if it's not them, somebody else, if let's say they want their own arena, not an arena that they share with a hockey team, they're there. They're still willing. They're ready. They've got the land. They're ready to go. They've got the plans. They obviously need that street, that little part yep. of Occidental, but he's going to talk about all of that and, and, and everything that's going on with the, the, the continuing efforts to get the NBA back to
1: Seattle. I would love it. I would love it. We all would love it. Yeah. I mean, imagine your, your kids live in a city with no NBA team like taking them to a game in the city that you they, can take you know. your
0: daughter to a WNBA game. And my son would be moderately interested in a WNBA yeah. game, but I, yeah, I've got two boys thinking about it. I got one boy who's 18. Yeah. I got one boy who's 15 and a basketball player. Uh, they both played growing up. They both love the NBA. The uh, not. I know. Could never take him to a game. And
1: there's a Seattle Supersonics bumper right sticker th- right behind you. Right behind me. <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, I went head-to-head, mano and mano with wait. Chris Hansen for 40 minutes, and that will be interview number one on Mitch Unfiltered our, after we do our, our first segment on the Super Bowl.
1: 40 minutes? What are you and I doing here? I'm going to go home and listen to the show. It sounds yeah, good. It's a long show. Okay? <laughs> I'm ready. Hey, Hotshot, 18 locations of Zeke's Pizza now await you
0: as dining rooms are again open at 25% capacity. The newest location in Kenmore near City Hall, and a flurry of new Zeke's locations are coming soon. Download the Zeke's Pizza app, order online, some fabulous pizza and beer will be at your door in no time. Valentine's Day at Daniel's Broiler is on the table again as Less Shy, South Lake Union, and Bellevue Place welcome back diners at a 25% capacity clip. Now, be flexible on your day and time because Valentine's Day seating is filling up super fast at Daniel's. No place better than Daniel's broiler for special occasions, a world-class steakhouse. The Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage, a 30-year fixed rate in the two still. More and more unfiltered listeners are spending that seven minutes with Jordan Flowers or a member of his team on the phone. It's all it takes to find out the incredible monthly savings of a refinance available to you at. 425-250-3150 425-250-3150 the kirkland office of gill mortgage an evergreen gov call tax advisors certified financial planners and experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments all under one roof evergreengk.com more than just a financial advisor evergreen is everything wealth Episode 129, including Chris Hansen breaking his silence, begins right now. Unfiltered. If they threw that same play and Lockett came down with it and it was a touchdown, would people have said, What were they doing throwing it? What were they doing throwing it? Yeah, they won the Super Bowl, but my God, that was such a stupid play. <laughs> they should have just handed it to Mark. Would anybody have second guessed that play if it worked? Unfiltered. I am scared of the Rams. Yeah. I'm waiting to see who they lose, who defects because of free agency, but I know they got Aaron Donald yeah. and I know they got Jalen Ramsey. They do. And I know they got Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, and I know that they now have Matthew Stafford. Who say what you want about him, he can play. Yeah, he can play a lot better, I think, than the guy that they used to have. I, I'm, I'm good and worried about the Rams. Mitch is unfiltered. Announcer,
2: Announcer Jakes is here. Is Brady's
0: pass?
1: and caught! Gronkowski again! There's the fake. There's the pass. And there's the catch for the touchdown! Antonio Brown! Fournette. net! Four net! Touchdown! Tampa Bay! I'm so proud of all these guys down here. Everything we uh, dealt with all year. We had a rough month in November, but V.A. had all the confidence in us. The team had a lot of confidence. We came together at the right time.
0: I think we knew this was going to happen, tonight, didn't we? And episode 129
1: now, Hotshot Scott is officially underway. I don't know if you've heard or not, but it's really hard for NFL teams to win back-to-back Super Bowls. <laughs> so I, I I went back and looked up how many have done it. Is it really hard? I mean, it just feels like it is. Well, but Tom I,
0: Brady must have done it. He's won seven of the damn things. We did it once. He did it. So three, oh four. Yeah. yeah. But there's only seven. Seven teams have won back-to-back. it yeah. pretty good. pretty yeah. good
1: teams. Did anybody do it in the 70s? A couple uh, teams do oh it yeah, in the, the 70s? Oh, yeah, the Steelers. Anybody else do it in the 70s? Uh, oh, uh, no, but 60s Green Bay Packers, Super Bowls okay. 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. I mean, but after that, that's really it for that. Oh, hold on. Let me scroll it. Uh, 72-73 Miami Dolphins. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they did. Would you like to drink to that? We can drink that. Super Bowls 7 and 8.
0: My, my, my son, Max, turned to me in the middle of the game. And he said to me something. I'm trying to remember the quote. He said, doesn't this sound familiar? Great young quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, wins a Super Bowl early in his career, comes back the next year with a chance to win Uh, back-to-back and loses to Tom Brady. Interesting. Does that sound familiar here in the Pacific
1: Northwest? I did not think of that. That's really interesting.
0: That That was my son's first comment when he saw the Chiefs were going down to the to the Bucks, He thinks it reminds him of Russell Wilson, in which case Patrick Mahomes might never go to another Super Bowl. <laughs>
1: right. It
0: seems hard to fathom right now, Patrick yeah. Mahomes not going back, but I'm, guess- I'm guessing that if we thought about after the one-yard disaster against the Patriots, if I would have asked the next morning, is Russell Wilson going back to the Super Bowl, you would have said, oh, may- maybe next year. Oh, yeah. We would have thought he'd be there yeah. two or three times right. by now. That's right. More, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. Speaking of that, that one-yard play that yeah. they, they did when it was for fourth and goal at the one, and they didn't give it to Leonard Fournette, the big bruising. Oh. I, I'm thinking to myself, what? Did, what do coaches have against running backs who get the tough yard at the goal line? Why? Why do they refuse? Who, they give it
0: to Ronald Jones. Yeah, who, Ron yeah, Jones. twenty-seven. Yeah. I th- yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. It was the same yeah. thing. Yeah. This Fournette guy. He's like reinvigorated. He's, yes, he's he is. killing people. I happen to think he Jones can't get is better. Goal?
0: He's probably better. I, I, I think you're right. I think Fournette's more, you know, rough and rough and tumble yeah. at, the, at the goal he line. Runs like crazy. I, I kind of like Jones better, but uh, he did have a great night. He had a great night. great playoffs. Leonard Fournette had a great night, <laughs> yeah. and so yeah, Tom Brady. Yeah. So I, I told you seven freaking <laughs> rings.
1: I know. I have so many thoughts. Freaking. Great. Go ahead, you start. We'll, we'll go all, back and forth. You start. All we hear about is that he's the greatest quarterback of all time. It's without question now. It's not even close. Now my question is, do we This is going to make some people throw up, so be ready. <laughs> Should I get a bucket? Is he the greatest NFL player of all time? Like for who would you say usually we well, say Jerry Rice or he's probably
0: yeah.
1: Is Brady, he's got to be the greatest not just quarterback ever. He might be the greatest NFL player of all time. Yeah. Ugh.
0: Well, he's certainly the most accomplished.
1: Yeah, whatever greatest means I to you. I don't know. You. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean it's 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 really insane what what he's done. Look,
0: the Buccaneers were well prepared. They were very balanced. They were very sharp. And it was a total no-show by the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, you you can make of it what you'd like mm-hmm. and you know, when you start talking about the Chiefs and what they didn't do on Sunday night, you run the risk of taking credit away from the team that did very well so i don't want to do that yeah but come on you know the dumb mistakes
1: the penalties were the penalties
0: now now we'll get to the fact that a lot of people thought oh it was the 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 refs try to screw up the refs were bad and they there were some bad calls but Dumb, how about lining up offsides right. on a field goal attempt? Right. Okay. And then get and then the two plays later they're in the end zone. How about how about on third down where they fail to convert, getting a 15 yard penalty, or a third down when they failed to convert, getting a holding, or how about late in the first half the guy dives at the guy's feet and knocks the receiver down on a long Ugh. on a long ball that he wasn't going to catch anyway, yeah. and he would be. I mean, there were just so many warts. I mean, the Chiefs were terrible on Sunday night. Even Andy Reid said, "I was." He didn't say horseshit, but he basically said, "I did. I, I did a terrible job putting my offense in position to to be good." So Tampa was great. Yeah. Kansas City looked ill-prepared, not ready. And then on top of it all, when people start to talk about, "All right, how about the holding on?" The Honey Badger. Badger. How about there there were some bad calls by the officials. You know, there were some bad calls by the officials that did extend some Buccaneers drives. But you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the Chiefs could only score nine points. Right. The Chiefs could not score on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. It didn't matter how many bad calls there were on the Chiefs defense because we talked about it. You and I talked about it on Wednesday. We talked about it last Sunday. What did I do? What did I say to you? I was yeah. wrong about the outcome, but what did I say to you? I said to you, this game is going to be won or lost if the Kansas City Chiefs' offensive line can protect Mahomes and keep him clean and do a good job against the Bucks with some makeshift guys that had a backup left tackle. And I thought they would be able to, mm-hmm. but I. Was he was under siege every single play. Yep. So it didn't really matter that there were bad calls by the officials. And then, and then to, to add on top of it, here's what I really, di- I really didn't grasp. Maybe I should have, having watched him. From the first play, it was obvious to me that Patrick Mahomes was not right. Hmm. Whatever's going on with that toe, yeah. that, it, it wasn't halfway through the game. Literally the first series where he where he actually scrambled for a first down. He scrambled a couple times, and got out of the pocket yeah, because yeah. He, was, he was under siege from the beginning. I could you could tell he was not good with that with that toe. And then later, as the game went on, it wasn't just impacting his mobility. He was not stepping in the throw. He was just not himself. I don't care what he says or what anybody says. I know that they're gonna now surgically repair his toe and whatever this week and he's playing on a on a he, he was just not right. Yeah. So now you throw that into the mix. So what do you throw into the mix? Tom Brady, great. The Buccaneers whipped the Kansas City offensive line. And the quarterback... Was sixty percent of himself. Yeah. If I had known those things before the game started, <laughs> I would not have bet the tuition on the Kansas City Chiefs.
1: Well, you did know about the the O line because that was a concern. You did say. I that. just thought that the
0: O line would hold up. Mm. I thought the I didn't think the Buccaneers could repeat what they did against Aaron Rodgers and repeat. They did. They even did better against Mahomes. I don't. I can't remember one time where he went back to pass right. where he didn't have people coming at him from all directions. Yeah.
1: Three He got sacked three times. But he was. He was. Always under pressure. He got hit eight times and then just under pressure the entire game. The whole game. The whole game. Brady got hit twice. What's the difference, right? I mean, there you go. He got sacked once for six yards. Once.
0: Well, Brady also was ahead... Yeah. So he could run the ball and he could disguise his passes a little bit better. He gets once rid of the, it quick, though. Well, yeah, he does. And once the Chiefs got way behind, then it was like, yeah. let's pin our ears back and go after a guy who can't even run very well in Patrick Mahomes. So I just thought, yeah. yeah it looked, I, anyway. It
1: looked like Mahomes. Do you remember that game Flyers Up? Or we called it 500 where there'd be like five or six kids and another kid would throw, throw it? Throw the ball, yeah. It, that's what Mahomes looked like he was playing. <laughs> He's just running for his life and, and then, then throwing just the –
0: it seemed like there was always a rusher that, wasn't, that was coming in untouched. Right. Like exactly. a blitzer or I know. just somebody coming in when nobody's blocking. A couple of times the running back just ran right by him. It was like, I'll yeah. just let him go in there. <laughs> just let him
1: go. Yeah. Yeah. I, they, I think the O-line was just getting whipped. I don't think it was a bunch, a bunch of blitzes. The, some of those guys were just getting their butts whipped. Yeah, it was not good. Now, I want to go back right. to something you said about the Chiefs looking unprepared because I'm sure we're going to hear more about this as the week goes right. on. I, yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with what happened with Britt Reid. Andy's son. Yes. Okay, so now I'm wondering...
0: Did that, have, that have play an impact? Don't know.
1: I don't know either, but I mean, I think it's...
0: He's the li- he was an assistant linebackers coach for the people who don't I'm sure everybody knows by now. Okay. He's had a real troubled past. His brother died of an overdose, I believe. At training camp, right? His brother died of an overdose... He's had a trouble pass. He got in an accident over the course of the week. Two kids or three kids were hurt. One very seriously, was fighting for her life. A little five year old girl, darling girl. And so yes, it was a really messy, messy scene. And yeah, if you're asking me, who who am I to decide how much of a factor that played in the game? I have no idea. But it was a horrible thing.
1: I think it. I I mean, I I don't know how it couldn't. I don't know how that couldn't couldn't affect. Couldn't affect. Believe me, they, they may have lost anyway. But I, that had to play some role on how he prepared, where his head was. And the whole team was probably yeah. like, yeah. there's a five-year-old girl in life support because of one of their coaches. And by the way, there's a GoFundMe page if people yeah. want to look yeah, into it. I tweeted it. it out. Oh, you did? Okay, okay. good.
0: Mitch, it's, it's Mitch underscore Seattle. Now, the underscore, that's not the hyphen. Oh, it's not. It's the little underline. I call it underline. I would say Mitch underline Seattle. People tell me to do it underscore. Yeah, but it's
1: not underlining anything. It's by itself. No,
0: it's underlying air. It's underlying air, yeah. 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 It's underlying the space. In between Mitch yeah. and Seattle.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, I
0: tweeted the GoFundMe page. It's okay. a heart, heartbreak. And by the way, they've already doubled what they were looking for in terms of medical bills. But what a just a heartbreaking story. Rough. Heart, heart yep. heartbreaking story. Yep. All right, I got, uh, uh, we'll go back and Let's forth. It. I, w- I would just say the Chiefs defensive backs, I guess I haven't really paid close, close, close. I've watched a million Chiefs games this year. I didn't realize how grabby they play. And I know that this is going to bristle some uh, some people might be bristled Seahawks fans. might They play this grab and dare, what I call
1: grab and dare defensive back. We saw a little bit of that at one point. The yeah. Seahawks fans,
0: the, There's these defense that come along where the defensive players, they just hold and grab and they dare the officials. Yep. The, the theory is, okay, we'll get a few of these calls against us. But over the course of a game, how many are they going to call? It, works, us? Out. it right. works out. It works out. It worked out. And I think as great as the Legion of Boom was, my God. Richard Sherman was always grabbing. Uh, Browner was always grabbing. They were always grabbing. (laughs) Always, yeah, yeah. And they got away with it for the most part. And we used to say back then, I remember, I used to say it on the radio show. I used to say, let's just hope in a big game, the Seahawks don't draw the wrong officiating crew that decides on that day to hammer them. Now, the Chiefs grabbed like the Legion of Boom grabbed, and they got the wrong, at least in the first half, <laughs> yeah. they got the wrong officiating crew on the <laughs> woke up on the wrong side of the bed and just decided, hey, we're just going to keep the. And they didn't care that at halftime, CBS was killing the officials and everybody else. Hey, there's eight eight penalties to one, and yada yada yada. Yeah. I would just say if you go back and look at each one of them in a vacuum, how many of them really weren't holding or pass interferences? Right. They seem to be all except for the one, the, the one in the end zone on the honey. The honey badger was a little shaky to me. Yep. Ball was way overthrown. Whatever, but um, pretty much all of them, I didn't see a, a huge problem with most of them anyway. Which sucks know.
1: because he, who wants the refs to decide Nobody. a Super Bowl? Nobody. Like, yeah, it's awful. But if you're
0: gonna grab and dare, which is what they do, they're grabbing and daring.
1: Yeah, yeah, this happened. That was the wrong, the wrong crew. Wrong you're right. crew. All right, so I don't want to make people throw up again, but we're talking about how great, how great is Gronkowski now? I mean. Well, he, I didn't think he had much of a year. Okay. Well, but he had a big game. He took I a, thought he was going to be the MVP. He took a year, a year off from Brady. football, partied, got himself back into shape, yeah. ended up starting again for yeah. an NFL By the way, at 30, he was doing this, 31. Yeah. Yeah. Starts for an NFL team and catches two touchdowns in the Super Bowl to win.
0: You think he'll be back next year? You think he wants to play again? It's a good question. I, I, I don't he may know. be ready to party again.
1: Well, he'll have time. He'll have some time. <laughs> <laughs> When's training camp start? But I mean, Gronkowski's got to go up the list of best tight ends of all time. Now, I mean, what he's done. Well, is I think he
0: was very high on the list to begin with.
1: Okay. Well, very I wasn't low. sure how yeah, high, but this this has got to help his stock. Yeah, I think it's he. So impressive. What do they what say? He, he and
0: Brady are the number one now. Yeah. Touchdown combination in Super Bowl history, beating yep. out Montana and Rice. Yeah. How
1: about the fact? I'll give you one. And by the way, Gronk has uh, this is his fourth ring. And ties him for third on the all-time list of wow. Super Bowl victories. Joining legends like wow. Joe Montana, Ronnie Lott, and Terry Bradshaw. Amazing. He's had a pretty good
0: career. He's really
1: goofy, though. I know. I can't tell if he's likable or unlikable.
0: I'm trying to figure that out myself. You know what
1: I mean? He seems like he'd probably be fun to hang with, but he's kind of <laughs> annoying in a way. So. How
0: about the fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, to win the Super Bowl this year, went to the Giants in round one of the playoffs. And that's not a big deal, because the Giants, a- NFC East, you know. But then go to the Saints... And win. Yeah. Go to the Packers and win in Green Bay and then win the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, the defending. They beat the Saints, the Packers, and the Chiefs in back to back to back games. It's three pretty good quarterbacks that they beat. Yeah, I know. Impressive. Three pretty good teams, not just quarterbacks.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
0: yeah, I got to tip your cap to them,
1: I guess. Have you seen a game where more footballs hit someone's face mask on a pass? There were a
0: couple of them, weren't there? Two, three? I can think of three.
1: What was going on out there? By the fir- the first one, I don't know if it's the first, but the, the Tyreek Tyree kill. Yeah, in the end zone, falling backwards. Boy, you could have used that in your bet. Oh, you I don't mean, even wanna know. <laughs> you sure could have used that. That might have changed things. That, that would at least got him the history class. <laughs> That's right. It-, it hit him right in the face mask, yeah. and then for some reason it didn't matter. But they decided to throw to a fat lineman. Why are we throwing the linemen in Super Bowls, please? This is not week seven when Who you're up Who threw to 30. the linemen? It was Tampa, it was Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay did. Yeah, yeah. It didn't matter, anyway. obviously, in the end. Yeah. How
0: about Vita Vea in there as the fullback? Uh-oh. From the University of Washington, how would you like to have him bearing down on you? You trying to get in the, you get into the hole, right? It's a Middle linebacker's we're, we're, nightmare. Okay, middle linebacker. Oh. You're playing middle linebacker on in the Super Bowl, right? Two forty, and we're going fourth and one, and the hole opens, and you jump in, <laughs> and know. Vita Vea is coming at you. Could you imagine that shit? It's oh my
1: god! Like a Jeep Wrangler ran over you. I mean, it's just, oh, yeah. oh god. No, it's not fair. No. I mean, they tried that, you know, Refrigerator Perry, but yeah, but then they gave him, the ball but you'd see these linebackers like yeah. when they try to just bounce and off him you feel terrible for him yeah. yeah how about the fact that Bruce Arians mother was at the game 95 uh, uh, yeah uh,
0: they're like there's Bruce Arians mother and she's cheering loud you know just pumping her fist I'm like wait hold on a second Bruce Arians is the oldest coach <laughs> in the NBA, NFL <laughs> and he's got his mom at the Super Bowl she's not even alive she's there in her seats cheering like a mother you know
1: what? yeah and they said she's the one that convinced him to get back into coaching she,
0: how about how cool so is that so
1: cool Uh, Yeah,
0: I'm like, uh, how is that person still? How is? And I start doing the math. I'm like, 27. She was 27. (laughs) Yeah,
1: makes sense. It's about right. God,
0: Bruce Arians' mother was there of all things.
1: Yeah, that was another cool like reminder to parents that you don't stop parenting once they leave the house. I mean, she's parenting him at like what 92, (laughs) 93. I mean, to get back. Yeah, that's amazing, right? That's so cool. Bruce Arians'
0: mom was there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was that was cool that they showed her that she was cheered and I. I couldn't stay off the Chiefs' message boards just because I'm a jerk. I couldn't, but I have to read one message. Of course, a Bronco (laughs) fan went in there and loved it. They can't. I mean, these guys are ready to these guys are ready to fling themselves off their roofs, right? He comes in, lol. He calls them the chefs. Of course, they always call them the chefs. You know, Um, lol. Chefs, enjoy your version of forty-three to eight. The Bronco. They, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, should have known that Denver is the only AFC team that beats Brady in the playoffs. <laughs> I just love that people can't control themselves. They got to go in there and just kick people while they're and down. you, you know?
0: got to go in there and watch exactly them kick people. Right. In at least I, I stay out of it. There's only one thing worse <laughs> than people kicking other people in the knees, and that's the people that like to stand off into the side like you and watch
1: them and giggle yeah. at them kicking at other people. Well, not only watch, I film them and then put it on YouTube. Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: All right, I need my pop culture uh, lesson of the day. Okay. This weekend fella. Weekend,
1: yeah, with uh, two E's instead of three. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had
0: no idea. I asked the boys, who's this weekend fella? And they're like, oh, he's big time. Big time. I was like, is he just... Because I normally know the acts. I know this is a sign of getting old, but I normally know the halftime show. I, I, I know of... You know, Bruno... uh, Bruno Mars. It sounds like you know of him. I know (laughs) Katy Perry. I know these people. Yeah, yeah. I know these people. But then they hit me with this weekend fella. Oh, yeah. And I thought maybe this was just a watered-down halftime entertainer because of the COVID thing. It was a weird year. They couldn't get a big star. Oh. And my kids are like, Dad, this is a big star. I was like, oh, come on. I'm not going to... I mean, he's a. He looks like a, a talented guy. He wh- sounds like Michael Jackson to me. Had his shoes where, on. Had his shoes on. Yeah. I'm thinking, but come on, how big could he be? And then. I recognized every song that he sang. <laughs> how did just, that happen? Just
1: from being in the car with your kids. Yes. That's how I recognized him, too. Yes. I recognized them all. P- I would have Piper thought
0: Piper him. would have said, oh, my God, it's The Weekend, Dad. Yeah, The Weekend. It. I don't know. Is it The Weekend or is he Weekend or is that his name? I Who think it's it? just
1: Weekend. Weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I did a little research. I, I had yeah. a feeling you'd ask. Yeah, I remember. 19 top 40 hits. Really, Casey Kasem would have loved this guy. And now at number five, <laughs> five number one hits. Number one, really? That's yeah, Barry Manilow doesn't have that. I mean, this oh, guy's yes, he
0: does. Oh, yeah, <laughs> not does. five number one. Don't ones. you dare put the weekend <laughs> fell in with Barry Manilow.
1: Yeah, the weekend Don't doesn't want me dare. to either. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> and he's Canadian. That's all I know about. Is him. he he's Canadian? And he's just a prodigious. Well, hitmaker. he looks like
0: a nice enough guy. Yeah, he had a nice sure. show. He had a nice run there at halftime. Yeah. But I will tell you. That having not ever heard of him and wondering who the halftime show is, and then recognizing virtually every song that he yeah. sang was a was a real treat for a few. Oh, good. I'm yeah. glad to hear it. But again, again, I'll go back to an old gripe that you've heard me do a million times. I'm gonna do it until it's changed. Maybe CBS could have turned up his mic. Yeah. Were you having trouble? How
1: was this? Okay. The mix was off. Yeah.
0: Were there little stuff going on on the TV broadcast, or was that just in my house? Like little skippings. Oh yeah, and 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 then towards the end. And how about yeah, towards the end. And how about when they went to the studio guys and JB's talking, and they've got some other graphic up and post game show. Again, I'm going to go back to I'm going to go back to what I've said over and over again. Why does it seem like the CBS? The CBS broadcast of the NFL, and I'm not talking about talent. I like Nance a lot. They've got Romo, who's like the, t- the king. Right. I think that their pregame guys are fine. I think they're as good as the Fox. I'm not talking about talent. Okay. Iron Eagle's an old friend. I'm not talking about talent. But there's something about CBS technically. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to bring this up, how okay. to articulate this. The colors on the screen are not quite as vivid as NBC or Fox. The sound isn't quite as good. There's something going. It's almost like they spend seventy-five cents on the. There's something. There's something. There's something strange. I've always felt this when the Seahawks are on CBS and we sit down and watch a CBS game. It doesn't look nearly as clear and as crisp
1: and as vivid as when it's on Fox or NBC or ESPN. Am I wrong about that? No. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed that at the end of the game when they were focused on Tom Brady walking around, that camera looked amazing. The one that was on the field. Oh, it did. Oh, I
0: I was like, why see, I didn't they see using any of those? Amazing! It was always a little fuzzy. Yeah.
1: Now, what? What do you think I don't about? Know.
0: Are they not using the? Aren't these all these networks doing the same thing? Why is it? Is it the? Is it the antenna? Ooh, I don't know. Is the it, antenna, is it, yes. Is, it's the my, antenna. is it my? Cave? Is, my, is it my? more tinfoil on. Do it, I then. need to do? Do I need to gaff it? Do I need <laughs> to do something? What but, do I need to
1: do to get it? CBS's football. There's something about CBS's football. Okay, but that's not right. Tell me what you think about CBS college football. To me, that feels brilliant. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay, so it's not just a CBS football thing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a CBS NFL I thing. I don't know. Because they're college football. When LSU's playing and the yellow helmet. Yeah, eh. yeah looks you know amazing what? you're right they- <laughs> it looks amazing so they need to get there's whatever something college football going needs- on yeah. yeah no i'm it's with you it's not quite right it's not there's something kind of off about it kind of off you. about
0: cbs's yeah. nfl football anyway all right i've done that a million times There's a million and one <laughs> all right you go you got
1: anything well it's it was a rough game for PETA. you familiar with PETA? the PETA's animal rights true. Well, I don't know. Who knows what you know? Again, you found yeah. out about earbuds a month ago, so I don't know. You know. And
0: I didn't know the weekend.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so PETA, I, I guess yeah. uh, an anonymous person came up and said, we'll donate $100,000 if the Honey Badger gets an interception.
0: Oh, well, he had one and another penalty.
1: Crazy, Called Right. Down. That he that it didn't count.
0: He, he oh somebody let's do a GoFundMe page we can do we can oh, raise hopefully 100
1: he'll sense. give it anyway or she'll give it anyway whoever yeah, the anonymous yeah, donor is yeah. but I couldn't I, I read that story and then oh. I saw him get the interception oh
0: and he, the honey <laughs> bag. she an LSU I mean what is she a Chiefs or an LSU who? fan who the This dono, the this donor we, we, we
1: don't we don't know who it is it was an anonymous donor so right. hopefully PETA gets her money he did get an interception was it
0: my <laughs> imagination or did Tony Romo need Jim Nance to tell him how much of a margin 31 to 9 is
1: (laughs) i didn't notice that but tell me no tell me maybe i needed the help too so we were on the same page okay all right hold on a second yeah go on
0: i I swear i heard tony romo say jim help me out with this 31 to 9 would be how many and jim went are you you mean 22 yeah 22
1: (laughs) i didn't notice that
0: I looked at Brett. Brett looked at me. I looked at (laughs) him. I was like, did I just hear that right? That Tony needed Jim Nance to do 31 minus nine? Or was he... Now, maybe maybe that's Tony Romo being Tony Romo. Yeah. Because there's certain times, I don't know if you know this, that broadcasters, studio hosts, whatever, will pretend to not know something. And when they might know a little bit more, but then they're... I don't know. Maybe this was his way of pulling my leg. But at one point during the broadcast, they were trying to figure... He was trying to figure out, okay would they still be three scores down if they give him a field goal here? And I think it was, tw- I think it was th- 28 to nine. Okay. So he was saying now, Jim, you didn't see this <laughs> no. now, Jim, it's 28 to nine. If they hold him to a field goal, uh, help me out here. 31, nine would be what? And Jim did like a double, like he didn't answer right away. He was like, uh, uh, he, I don't didn't even know think, if he was kidding I, or not. Or? He's like, Are you, you mean like 22? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm asking.
1: <laughs> I, I was like, Tony. All right. Well, Clearly, okay, so- he's not stupid. If you've ever seen an NFL playbook, <laughs> okay. all right. Okay. He's smart. And it, it's an old, like, annoying Is trope. It a math thing? Yeah. People love to say, I, I can't do math. Uh, I, okay. uh, math's hard. You know, people, numbers well, are But
0: there's hard. a lot of people. I, I believe that there are, like, two, two polar, there's two sections of the world the math world and yeah. the non math world. All right. Well, but yeah. I don't think I'm 31 to minus nine. <laughs> I would hope not, year. no. <laughs> how much, what, 20 million a year he's getting now? Yeah. Jim, help me out with 31.9. What would that be? Yeah. I, I
1: don't know. Now I got to go back and watch. Now yeah, I'm going to go gonna back. Go, I'm yeah. gonna, I want to hear this now. And you'll, I don't know how I'm I, I want up. you
0: to go back and watch. I want you to come back on 129P on Wednesday night and tell me whether you think he was joking, was this tongue in cheek, okay. or was this serious like <laughs> Tony Romo needing Jim Nance to do the math on him for 31.9?
1: Does he have a producer he can talk to, but hit know. the button? Well, well he was. He was, he was <laughs> All right. Who's the favorite to win it in 2021? The odds are out. Are you excited for the 2021 NFL season? Chiefs. You are correct, sir. Yeah. L- listed at plus 550 at Caesars. How about that? Yeah. Packers are next you, at plus 900. Why don't you
0: parlay it with the Packers? See if you can win both. <laughs> see if
1: they can both win? <laughs> I, they'd probably pay out a ton. I'm going to do it.
0: Uh, well, if you're wondering about Vegas, how they did. Oh, I am yes. So here here is what the Vegas at the end of the the betting when the game started, here's what Vegas needed. So there was more money where they were vulnerable was was uh chiefs minus three, okay? so they they didn't have to pay that one out. yeah, that was they were vulnerable on that. They were vulnerable on the over, okay. They didn't have to pay that one out, so they're in great shape at through two. But here's the one that got that got them, I think, pretty big. A lot of money on the bucks on the money line. Oh, a lot of people, a lot of people who wanted to bet the bucks didn't want the three. They wanted just to bet them straight up and take the odds instead of the three because sure. they thought that they were going to win. What was the? Money we don't line? want them. It was plus whatever it was. Okay. I don't know what it was. So they were very much exposed. So I'll be waiting to see mm. on Monday, Tuesday, we'll get the returns. They were exposed. They probably did okay because they won. What they really here's what here would here was the perfect outcome. If you want to know what the perfect outcome for Vegas was yeah. for for them just to sweep the world it would have been like the under because they were exposed on the over, so it would have been like under fifty six. So let's say twenty four to twenty three Chiefs. So they don't lose the money line bets to Tampa. Right. They don't lose the Chiefs the minus three. Yeah. Chiefs minus three don't cover, and they don't lose the over. That would have been a clean sweep. They wanted. The Chiefs to win low scoring and very close by one or two. I well, got right. two out of three.
1: Ain't right. bad. That's eh, no. not too bad, yeah. I did a song about were that. Were you proud of your fellow Florida man storming the field? How do we know that we he's in a Florida man? We know. Stop it. We know.
0: You're not allowed. You're not allowed. Do
1: you know how many people? I thought the only people that were there were healthcare.
0: <laughs> was this like a nurse that had gone bad? <laughs> I don't know who it was. What I tweeted was, look, if it's a healthcare wor- worker who was vaccinated. Yeah. I'm willing to give them a, a pass on this. It's been a tough
1: year. It has been a tough year, and maybe year. it's driven Blowing somebody some so steam. crazy
0: that they needed to <laughs> take their clothes off and run out. Well, did you,
1: know. you see that he blew it at the one-yard line. Have you seen the video?
0: Well, he he could have do. He, I think he could have gotten in, but I,
1: he, I he slid for some reason, yeah, or he yeah, slipped, yeah, he, or yeah, he, yeah, he yeah, Russell Wilson yeah. went feet first. <laughs> That's right. He he made a nice one, nice spin move. Yeah, but he was he clobbered after that. He, he was, was clobbered. He, yeah, but why is it that like the first two look like they've never run in their life? Why is it that security guards sometimes, when they're chasing, look like? I mean, the guys at the end look like they, they could yeah, run. Yeah, because it, they're
0: not expecting it. Maybe they're just caught off guard.
1: Maybe. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. And it's hard to, it's hard to put a, The guy put a good move on
0: him in the open field.
1: He did. He it's put a, a nice good, little yeah. spin move. Yeah. Yeah. I used to be friends with a guy who, who did that same kind of thing at Safeco Field. And I, I, I used to have a bet with him. I said, I guarantee I can make it to center field. And he's like, I guarantee you can't. I, I really wanted to try to see if I could make it to center field but you know Tim Heavily already hated us so I didn't want to you know yeah. get in more bad with the Mariners but <laughs> <laughs> I know I could make it that guy ain't and tackling And is isn't
0: me. Uh, who's the guy who does it on radio is he going to be in trouble did you say coming into the show oh, Kevin Harlan Kevin Harlan He's got a, he's his MO is when he does a game where there's a streaker or where there's a guy that jumps on the or field. A cat. He does the play by play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That he's been doing that for years. Okay. People like that about him. Yeah. But he went overboard or he's got himself in trouble? Didn't I he, don't
1: know that he got in trouble. I just know that he he said something to the effect of, you know, pull up your pants, take off the, the bra Did the guy have a bra on? Yes. He said it was, it was a man with a bra? Appears to be. Okay. He said, Pull up your pants, take off the bra and be a man. And you think he's gonna have to apologize? I feel that. like an apology will be coming.
0: Not from the streak. Not from the guy that jumped on the field. No, I don't think. He's but from gonna... the announcer who described
1: the action. Yeah, the announcer might actually be I in more it. trouble than the guy that I jumped on the field. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I don't All know right. for sure. All right, a
0: quick before we do, uh, we get to Chris Hansen. Do you have any uh, commercial things or oh. you want to do them and you want to do them in the other stuff segment?
1: Yeah, I, I have a bunch. So let's do. it in Okay, stuff. other stuff yeah.
0: segment will lead off with commercials, but we, we have a lot of other stuff. And how about the fact that people are talking about Russell Wilson? That John Schneider is now fielding calls or that people tried to call John Schneider to find out about the availability Uh, through trade of Russell Wilson. You get that one all of a sudden just dropped in there? (laughs) I know. The whole world was like, what? What?
1: People love to pounce when they think a guy's not, you know, maybe he's a little unhappy, didn't have a great season. And they just jump in and pounce. Somebody reported on the
0: NFL network that Saw there that. were actually people calling the Seahawks and John Schneider about Russell Wilson.
1: How about Russell Wilson get lots of airtime? He was on. Well, he was, man a lot. Of the, he was man of the year. He was, yes. That's a
0: huge honor. He hasn't won that before? No. Oh, okay. One guy. I don't even know that he's been nominated before. Oh, okay. You, only one guy from each team. There are 32 nominees. Yeah. That is a huge award. Well, good for him. That's we, like for yeah. your work off the field. And, you know, there's no questioning that with him. He's yeah. amazing. He's amazing when it comes to that. All right. So we got to talk about a little bit about that. Yep. Like, is there... Where there's smoke, is there fire? Is it possible? Is it preposterous? We could talk about that. What would it cost the Seahawks to trade him in terms of salary cap and dead money and all that stuff? Right now, Schneider's could, fa- he's would fast Would you ever trade Russell Wilson? The notion, and by the way, the reports state, and we'll get there in the other stuff, the reports state... Um, that John Schneider has made it very clear. We are not interested, <laughs> right. which is interesting because there were also reports that John Schneider was looking to trade Russell Wilson two years ago, three years ago for the number one overall pick huh. the year that Cleveland picked uh, the quarterback,
1: uh, yeah. Baker,
0: Baker Mayfield. But no, that's not been substantiated whether they were willing to part with Russell Wilson back then. And I would just say if they were willing to part with Russell Wilson three years ago. Yeah. Yeah, well, Would they be willing to part with them now? Now, that was before a contract, and there was, it was the, the, the playing rule, the, play, the, the rules were different back then. When I say the rules, I mean the contract situation was different. Anyway, let's do all right, Chris Hansen for 40 minutes, Mike Tolan, the filmmaker, for 20 minutes, and then uh, hockey, the Kraken, yes. people who wanted Kraken stuff. You got <laughs> it, and then we'll do the other stuff segment hey Zeke's pizza continues to grow new locations popping up and now we're allowed back in the restaurants at 25 percent here's dapper Dan Black hi Dan
2: hey Mitch I'm sure you can hear the excitement of my voice over the new nickname
0: (laughs) it's not so new dining rooms (laughs) opening is really good for lots of reasons more than just selling pizza and beer right
2: that's right of course selling beer and pizza is great but the psychological boost and just the sense of potentially a light at the end of the tunnel here a little bit, I think that's the main thing with having dining rooms be back open. It certainly gives our crew a bit of a lift to see some faces that haven't been around for a while come back in. But then for our customers, too, going out to a restaurant is a sign of normalcy. and. And even if it's only at 25% capacity right now, like I say, I think it's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, and, and it's just it's a good psychological boost for everybody.
0: Does pizza and beer delivery actually decrease, Dan, when we open up all the restaurants and all the options for diners?
2: It does go down a little bit, both in terms of people coming into our dining rooms but then also more restaurants just being open. But I'll tell you, we're unequivocally in the mindset of – it's better for us it's better for everybody to have dining rooms be open and heading back towards normal and so what what we lose on takeout delivery is more than made up for uh like i say is dining rooms coming back
0: so kenmore near city hall is number 18 tell us about 19 20 i'm hearing about a 21st location
2: yeah actually we've i've signed a couple deals since the last time we talked we've talked about again kenmore being open mill creek and mount lake terrace being in in the pipeline uh signed a, like I say a couple more deals and so you can add Beryan, White Center and Seward Park onto the list and then nice. like I say there's there's two or three more coming soon some deals are signed I'm just not ready to announce them yet.
0: Superb. Download the app, the Zeke's Pizza app, order. Visit them on the web at zekespizza.com. Have some pizza and beer delivered to your door or visit them at one of the 18 soon-to-be 19, 20, 21, 22 locations. We love Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered.
3: Our mission is to get an NBA team back here. And we feel pretty strongly that Having uh, uh, an arena in Soto gives us the best chance to do that. And we, uh, I think one of the things that's not well understood is that we're very open to uh, the city determining whatever is in the best interests of the Seattle Center and Key Arena. Um, and we don't think that these two are mutually exclusive. If the, if the zoo decides to move forward with the OVG plan, that's, uh, that's their prerogative, it's their asset, you know. Uh, hopefully they take into you know, uh, uh, consideration all the concerns of the various constituents around there in the traffic and parking but at the end of the day if they decide to do that uh, I mean, it's it's their asset. They have the right to do that but we don't think that that should exclude us from also being able to pursue an NBA arena in Soto.
0: Our first guest here on Mitch Unfiltered has been quiet for a long time and I'm thrilled that he's chosen to speak with us. He's a Seattle native who dreams of one day again sitting courtside at a Seattle Sonics game, Chris Hansen. Hiya, Chris. How are you doing, Mitch? Doing Good to hear okay. it from you. Thank you. Notice I said you dream of one day sitting courtside as opposed to dreaming one day of ownership of the Seattle side. So you see what I did there?
4: Yeah, that was very clever. <laughs>
3: uh, uh, and uh, the last Sonic game I did attend, I could say uh, I definitely was not in a financial position to sit courtside. So last Sonic's game I attended, I was, I was pretty high up in the, uh, in the uh, second level. So,
0: Well, update our listeners. Are you now in a financial position to sit courtside, Chris?
3: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, safe assessment. <laughs> so... Well, and, and I would gladly uh, I would gladly uh, trade my close to court side seats for the Warriors for court side oh, seats uh, for the Sonic. Oh, so.
0: yes, we'd like you to trade those immediately. You know, we haven't heard from you in a long time. As I said, especially since NBA Commissioner Adam Silver cracked the door on expansion publicly for the first time in a long time uh, to Seattle. What'd you think?
3: I mean, again, I think that it's, you know, what I've always said is that I think it's inevitable that the NBA will return to Seattle at some point, certainly not in a position to have, like most others, a tremendous amount of insight uh, into exactly when that was going to happen. You know, I think Adams made it clear that it's back on the table at some point. I don't think he's given a, from what I've heard a definitive timeline on that, but I mean, this is a a great first step, uh, you know, opening a salvo to us getting back a team is is super exciting. So along with everybody in Seattle, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, optimistic and excited that hopefully it's sooner rather than later.
0: When the commissioner of the NBA says something like that publicly, does that push your buttons, your group's buttons to reach out to the NBA? Um,
3: I would just say that, look, we've, you know, Wally having played in the NBA, us having coming very close to purchasing a team a few years ago, they know we're interested and and we've certainly had, you know, kind of an ongoing dialogue with the league. And, you know, as I pointed out, there hasn't been a whole lot to talk about, honestly. And I think uh, at this point, silver opened the door, but, but the league is, is keeping their cards pretty close to their vest at this point about what that would mean in terms of timing. And uh, I, I think that we'll all know, Uh, kind of simultaneously i I don't think that any one group will have like some distinct advantage i I think the nba will open this in a in a fair and transparent process
0: many in our audience chris might be saying to themselves well we have a new multi-purpose arena almost ready to open at seattle center by all accounts they've done a fabulous job adam silver even acknowledged the new home publicly we love chris anson we appreciate everything that he's done but let's now just ditch the soto idea and concentrate all of our efforts on climate pledge it's not that simple is it
3: yeah i mean i think that my objective has always been to get basketball back in seattle you know first and foremost any Anything other than that is secondary. I mean, I really entered this with like a civic objective of getting a team back for our city. No one else at the time was uh, was really doing a whole lot about it. And so, you know, we stepped up to the plate and, and we could see a few opportunities coming at the time. And we really wanted to get Seattle in the best position, you know, back in 2012 and 2013. And, and we came damn close, you know. I mean, we, we really, I think, did put a good effort uh, forward and it didn't work out. Uh, but what I would say is nothing has really changed from that perspective from my point of view. My, my job is to help us get a team back. And if that team, if the NBA thinks that Key Arena is an adequate home, and, and I don't just mean in terms of uh, the quality of the building, but the quality of the economics for the owners uh, or potential bidders, then yeah of course we will 100% support it and you know again I'll be sitting courtside in Key Arena with our you know my seats and my friends and, and cheering on the Sonic. I think the important part of this is that it may not be that simple in that you know the, the trend as we pointed out is has been towards teams in the NBA because of how much economics have improved to being in NBA only buildings and, and You can look at the recent evidence of that, including our old partner, Steve Ballmer, building his own building down in L.A. And I think there's a pretty good chance that, you know, there will be ownership groups, including ours, and including some outside of Seattle. This is really important, too, that are going to be bidding with the assumption of building an NBA-only arena. If that's the case, I think what it's important to remember is I think the NBA really wants to be in Seattle. And I think that's important. I think they've made that point clear but I don't think that that means that Seattle will get to bid dramatically lower than other potential cities, right? Yeah. The owners are going to dilute. They're going to sell 131st or 132nd of the league. And the economics that a team generates in a city is going to be directly correlated to how high someone is willing to bid for a team. And so I, I think there's a very good chance that in other cities or or in Seattle that a high bid may come from someone like us or another group that is looking to build an nba on the arena and my job is to make sure that seattle puts its absolutely best foot forward in this process and that we have the best ownership groups and we have the best uh, solution for nba chris you so i'll just stop there and let you ask any
0: more questions well i got i've got a million questions you you have enough time to fly up here and be with me in studio but You speak of the bidding process once we get to that point as kind of the top bid wins, and yet I was always under the impression, history suggests that what the NBA does is they decide on a price and they say we want $2.5 billion. Let's just use that as a number. We want $2.5 billion, and it's not one group bidding versus the other. It's just they decide... They look at all the ownership groups that are willing to write a check for $2.5 billion, and they pick the ownership group that they are most comfortable with based on not only the makeup of the group but where they're playing and all the economic factors involved. The way you're talking about it, maybe I'm misunderstanding you, is that this could end up being a bid. The highest bidder in Seattle gets the team.
3: Yeah, I I think, Mitch, that um, the last time major sports leagues – other than hockey expanded. it's It's been some time, right? And the value of the franchise has increased tremendously. So I, I do think it's possible that the NBA says, you know, here's the price, you know, we've done all of our homework as ownership group, and here's the asking price. And then they evaluate ownership groups, and buildings and economics, and they're really going to look for a, you know, a holistic look at this, I, I do believe holistically, you know, in terms of the quality of all three of those things. And I think Seattle is on a great footing from that standpoint. I think, you know, you, you don't need me to reiterate, but I think, you know, we're the best city, uh, with very passionate sports fans, high disposable incomes that should lead to, to good economics on a relative basis to some of the other cities that may show interest. And I think Dan day really wants to be here, but I think that you just have to remember the other side of this equation, which is that, you have owners that are giving up 131st or 132nd, if it's two teams, of their league-wide revenues in perpetuity, and uh, it's only natural that the owners, if they're going to do that, are, are, are you know they should seek the highest price possible. I'm just not really sure where that balance. You know, I'm not sitting in the NBA finance committee. Uh, you know, I'm not Adam Silver. I'm not an owner, so I, I don't think we have. A great idea of how that debate is gonna go. Well I could only speculate.
0: Well to that end, if they do go the latter route where they take the best offer in Seattle, what you're saying is economically you're building your proposed building, and we'll talk about the the obstacle that remains to you guys getting a shovel ready. But your proposed building, which is an NBA only arena plus concerts is obviously economically more viable than an arena where the NBA team shares it with an NHL team. So your plan is kind of an insurance policy if the NBA and the ownership group involved wants a basketball-only facility.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I I really want to, first of all, tip my cap to the guys at Jim and Irving and their entire group and, and Bonderman about getting this arena built and getting hockey back to Seattle. They really deserve to be commended for all the hard work that they put in. It's no easy task, and they're not quite finished yet. But I mean, I think everybody in Seattle appreciates what they've done uh, with Key Arena. And if, again, if the team ends up being playing there, it's not a bad outcome for me. We own 13 acres of uh, downtown real estate, and I'm pretty sure you know we'll, we'll fare okay with whatever outcome that leads to. Um, But what I would say is that the trade-off here is that, on one hand, you don't need to spend the money to build a new building. But on the other hand, you're going to have to split the economics. You're going to have to split suite revenue. You're going to have to split naming rights revenue. You're going to have to split club revenue. There's a number of things that uh, will need to be split uh, in some version of three ways, with Oakview for the concert business, with uh, Bonnerman for the hockey business, and, and with the NBA team. And I think... Uh, what's important to know is that the reason that most NBA teams have been building nba only building is because they want to keep the majority of that revenue. And they think that the give you a finance term or, a uh, you know, a, a more technical term is the IRR, which is the, you know, internal rate of return mm-hmm. of building your building and keeping all the cash flow for yourself has tended to be higher than playing in a, a joint building as NBA economics have improved. And so again, that's the reason why a lot of owners over the last decade have, have gone out and ventured out and are are seeking buildings to play in by themselves.
5: Approximately. And I don't think that yeah, I'm sorry. I don't
3: think that that's different in Seattle. That's my point. I think that an NBA team, if you're asking my personal opinion, an NBA team would be more valuable playing in an NBA only arena than an NBA team would be playing in a jointly arena.
0: Approximated for us in terms of revenue. As I understand it, these teams in markets like Seattle, you know, they're two hundred and fifty, three hundred million dollar a year revenue sources. Can you just take a a best guess at what the difference in cash flow would be between a, an arena, an NBA team that shares an NHL arena, and?
3: and um, I would and, rather. I mean, these really vary a lot, Mitch. From uh, you know, from city to city. Uh, one of the unique things about the NBA, right, is that naming rights or building other building sponsorship or suite sales or club naming rights—all these ancillary revenue streams vary tremendously from, you know, Memphis to Seattle to Los Angeles or to New York. So it's not an even equation. Every city is going to make an a, equation and and you should really get Steve on your show, I, I would encourage you to do that, okay. and have him talk about what he thought the increment was from being in a jointly-owned uh, you know, staple Center to building his own building. I don't think Steve's irrational. He's a very smart guy, obviously, and I'm sure he's run the numbers and concluded that the cost of building the building, the incremental cash flow, not only covered debt service, but led to a much higher net cash flow to him in playing in an old building. And then there's other intangible benefits, too, like just having a building you don't have to share with people. Scheduling gets easier. Mm -hmm. Facility usage is just for the team, and maybe it makes the team more competitive. There's some other reasons that I think owners do it, too. I don't really want to comment specifically. Obviously, we we have our own estimates of what we think that increment is, and to the extent that this is a competitive process, I would really – not want to put that out there, you know, for, for other people and, and start a debate on that. But I would just say that we think a team will be much more profitable even after factoring in the costs of building an arena in an NBA-owned arena.
0: Well, if you're NBA not, media, if you're significantly, not gonna, okay. significantly,
3: significantly, so
0: you want to whisper a no, number. <laughs> I really, I really don't. But
3: you can look. I mean, the other thing that you know, you, we have a, a pretty uh, sophisticated fan base in Seattle, and there's been a lot of articles written on this. And I would just encourage you to, you know, look in the sports business press about the kind of increments in cash flow. That, that teams think they can get when they make these moves. And, and, and there's a lot of discussion around that in places like the sports business journey.
0: Well, theoretically, as you mentioned, the additional revenue, Chris, of your own building would drive up what an ownership group would be willing to pay in terms of an expansion price. Or would you say when we're talking about the type of people, the wealth of the type of people that would own an NBA arena, they just want to own a team and they're willing to ignore the differences in revenue streams, at least for the, for the time being, until the honeymoon period wears off?
3: Yeah, I, I think you have both, really. I mean, there's plenty of people globally that are involved in sports, uh, and, and you could actually put us in that equation. You know, I think we're doing this for the IRR, or the, the return that I would make on an NBA franchise, I, I don't think penciled out to leaving my money in my uh, investment fund and letting it compound, you know, not paying taxes on it. So even for ourselves, it's not, this is a passion project, I would say. But if you were just to take a strictly rational monetary approach, there's definitely a correlation between the incremental cash flow that you would generate and the price you're willing to pay. That's how assets are valued. Um, and the and simple analogy I would give you, if you're looking at a real estate asset, it's valued on a cap rate. And what that means is you divide the free operating cash flow from the real estate project by whatever interest rate you would discount those cash flows back at. And so to the extent that there is a higher level of free cash flow, that will lead to a much higher number when you divide it by whatever the interest rate is. So an extra $100 million in cash flow at that 3% uh, interest rate is a billion dollars in value. I do think that people are rational. I mean, they, they might be interested in bidding, but clearly no one's going to bid $100 billion for an NBA team, right? right. Like, you, we could throw and no one's going to bid a dollar either. There's some range at which people's passions fade away when they start to think that the price gets so unreasonable. And there's plenty of people, when they buy sports teams, that sit down and they try to... They try to run the numbers and they try to figure out what the cash flow is and what they should bid. And that's just a normal part of the bidding process. And and the point you asked earlier about franchises, I don't think there is a good historical precedent in people bidding on franchise expansion. But there's a lot of historical precedents, as you know, of these um, football, baseball, basketball teams trading hands. And for that, there are competitive bidding processes. And people are doing this math and trying to yeah. determine yeah. what they're willing to bid.
0: Chris Hansen is our guest. Chris My paranoid question of the day as a Sonics fan or kind of a transplant that's been out here for 25 years is what happens if an ownership group bids two and a half, three billion bucks, writes a check to own an NBA team in Seattle, is thrilled to play at the climate pledge, and then when the honeymoon ends five or seven years down the road, they're saying to themselves, shit, I I want... I want our own place like Bombers got in Inglewood. What happens then? Yeah,
3: I mean, I think that's a fair question. Uh, it's probably a better question to ask to uh, Tim or or maybe Todd or or Bonderman if you if you can get him on on your show. But I think um, there's a fairly good prospect of that, and uh, there's not a lot of available real estate in Seattle to build arenas. And I would just say that we view we really view our real estate as a civic asset, and we will try our best to preserve that optionality if a team doesn't play at our place for some period of time because I think the thing the league or none of us wants is um, for an owner to get himself in a position where he's unhappy at the place he's playing and doesn't have a great alternative. So
0: We don't need to go through
3: that uh, again. That's kind of a roundabout way to answer your question, but that's what happened in Seattle last time, as you know. Right. Now, the other thing that I would just say is is that, you know, people make economics aren't always the first priority. So I don't want to be sounding like it's all finance here. If you get someone who's a multi, multi, multi billionaire who wants to buy a team, it may just make his life easier to play a key arena. And he may be willing to just tolerate for a very long term lease the ability to get or inability to get maybe the economics he would otherwise in a new building. And if that's the case, that's a great outcome for Seattle. It really is. I mean, if 50 billionaire decides he wants to own a basketball team and wants to play a key arena, that's a great outcome for Seattle, you know? And so I just, I think it's really important. I just want your listeners to know that I'm very happy with that outcome and everybody in our ownership group will be very happy with that outcome. At the end of the day, we just want a great ownership group to play in a building where everybody's happy and uh, have basketball back in Seattle. That's not, it. not to dive. So else
0: not to dive into your personal finances, Chris, but we we established at the beginning that you now are wealthy enough to afford courtside seats. is chris Hansen <coughs> is Chris Hansen wealthy enough these days? I mean, these guys that are the front men of these NBA ownership groups, astronomical wealth, Chris. would you be? in a position financially to be that front guy or at this point are you are you just of the opinion hey i'll be a part of the ownership group but there'll be somebody that's even wealthier much wealthier than i am that'll be at the front
4: i i would just say it
3: this way um i've been very fortunate and in the last ownership group i was going to be the majority owner although i think what people have re- also realized is that uh, steve was putting in a lot of capital and had his own aspirations to be an NBA owner too. And, and there was, you know, obviously some back and forth about what that meant between me and Steve and and Steve would have had the opportunity to be an NBA majority owner, even with my group back then. Uh, as we move forward, obviously I've been fortunate enough where my net worth has improved since then. And I can be a very substantial equity partner in this. Now, whether that means I'm a majority owner or a sizable minority owner Time will tell, you know, and I I, I would just reiterate to the fans that is not important to me. That is really, really secondary of whether I'm a majority owner or minority owner. I just want to see it happen. So if some gajillionaire wants to come in and be the majority owner and he wants to write the largest check, I'll put in my money alongside him. We'll contribute our real estate and, you know, I'll be very happy as a minority owner. Same thing if it ends up in Key and they would like to have me as a minority owner in, in whatever ownership group comes to playing Key, I'll gladly write the check, and I'll also buy my courtside tickets, <laughs> and I'll be a very happy minority owner in Key Arena, and we'll keep the real estate and, and see how it goes, and if it's ever needed in the future, we'll leave that as an option for the group
0: as well. What does the majority, or just to give our audience some perspective on this, the majority owner has to write a check, doesn't he? A percentage of the... Of the franchise? 15%. I'll
3: just give you the math, and then you can plug in the numbers. You have to take take the purchase price, then you subtract the debt that you're able to borrow against the team, and then you need to own 15% of that equity. This isn't hard math. Anybody in your uh, audience can can easily do that and figure out what the minimum number is. That's the minimum, okay? So the NBA is obviously much more in favor – of a Steve Ballmer situation sure. where there's not 100 minority investors in here and and it's really one guy with a very large state calling the shots. Right, so right. that's the minimum, but I think the preference is for a much larger amount, I mean, if possible. And and there's just less cats and dogs in the ownership group to to create that, where issues can arise.
0: Sounds like a $300 million check. I haven't... Plus, plus I would say. $500 million, you know, $500 million?
3: I don't know. I mean, I, I think that... A uh, majority owner in the NBA at this time uh, should probably be prepared to write uh, a check in excess of five hundred million dollars. My guess.
0: Don't come calling me, Chris. I, I don't. I don't have <laughs> anything in the cushion. You're listen. Your group still sits with the land. How many acres now? You guys added some some property not too long ago, right?
3: Yeah, I mean we're always looking down there. I mean we everything we own is is pretty much contiguous. And, uh, you know, I mean, again, I think as other stadiums, you know, learn if we're ever to to build a stadium, we like to control the area around uh, our real estate. And it's just also a good strategy in case it doesn't work out. The more stuff you own contiguous, the more development options it gives us or if we would ever sell it to somebody else. So I, I think it just makes sense for us to continue to acquire stuff around us and and that's what we've been doing and that's what we'll continue to do
0: okay but my question is you still need that one block of Occidental right and I know
3: I think the we don't li- need the block we need the street you need the street <laughs> so,
0: okay like yeah
3: okay. we need to buy the street from the city okay and you know I, I think what we've always said and it's just to be crystal clear is that we're only gonna buy this if you build a if you buy a new city right. if we're going to build the building. Right. And if we're building the building and you and, and we have a team and we're building the building, by definition, for some reason or another it didn't work out at Key arena. So we're not asking to buy the land up front. I understand. We're asking to buy the land after if. we simultaneously to starting construction of an
0: arena. I got it. So So it's a conditional purchase, but my question is when I looked at your website, the last thing that I see is a, is a letter that you guys wrote and made public to the mayor's office a couple of years ago. Any response? Any progress? I mean, what's it going to take? The feeling that I get is what it's going to take is for the NBA to somehow message the city council or the mayor's office and give them something of an ultimatum that says, hey, we want a basketball-only facility, and you guys run the risk of not getting a team as much as we love Seattle and want to be there if we don't get a basketball-only facility. That's what it's going to take in my warped mind. I think
3: that's way much more of a last resort, Mitch. I I think that, look, the reason we have been pushing is obvious. that The city's been very preoccupied with, a lot of other more pressing things than building an NBA arena. That, you know, uh, over the last two years, particularly as there hasn't been any clarity on the timing of that. So Seattle has been in a, a really tough spot, like a lot of other cities with COVID and all the different challenges. Uh, you know, around racial inequality and everything. So, I mean, the the politicians have rightfully been focused on more pressing issues than this. And and I think you know, look, we we want to be good citizens. We're not going to push this. Uh, when it's not appropriate, I think that when it becomes clear that an auction process happens, or, yeah. you know, the, the NBA adds clarity to this, right. we will come back and ask for a conditional approval. So I, I, I like to think that the city is a lot more rational than having to call. It's like, hey, look, we'd like to bid, and if it doesn't end up in Key Arena, there's, there's a reason for that, right? That Like something didn't work with the NBA or something didn't work with the, the ownership group that wanted to bid the right price. And uh, you know what, if it doesn't work out, then you can keep the street. And I think the other thing that's really important for you to understand is that revenue streams from key arena are fairly limited compared to what they would get an arena like ours. So we haven't asked for any tax subsidies or any, anything right now. And so building another billionish dollar arena not only would generate a tremendous amount of tax revenue for the city, but the incremental ongoing revenue from everything that we do would be additive. And I don't think there should be any doubt in any listener's minds that the city of Seattle will generate more revenue, uh, more tax revenue, from two arenas than it will for one arena. That that is almost guaranteed. Like I can't think of a circumstance with my knowledge of kind of how to financing and revenue streams work, that that won't be the case. And, and I think to Tim and Bonnerman's credit, I mean, they built this to be financially viable with just hockey and the concert business. So I don't think that they're dependent upon the NBA no coming to their arena to make it financially viable. So any- it's not like it's going to put them out of business or anything. No. Sure. It's a competitive situation and, and with everything being equal, they would love to have it play there, but it's not like this is going to bankrupt the city or bankrupt them that's just that's not a real solution and I I don't think the city should be worried about that these are private players very well capitalized Bonnerman has a tremendous net worth Irving uh, and Oak Buku is very well capitalized you know they're in this business to make money and you know I I just don't think there's any if if an NBA team ends up coming to our building instead of theirs I think they'll do great
0: it could pull some concert business from their building right but it also could lead to a better situation for seattle as a whole if there's a couple of different alternatives for concert venues
4: yeah i mean
3: it's not i'm not a concert promoter so it's not really my position to comment on the concert business i think um historically the rentals for arena rental prices when you have two buildings in the market compared to one building in the market is lower, you know, for sure. Cause there's competition whenever you have a monopoly in any sure, business, sure. prices tend to be higher. But what I would say is like from a fan experience, right? Like just like, think about this from the city, it's going to be a very tight building. Like only having one building to host all concerts and NBA and NHL, which have overlapping seasons, this is going to be very, very tight. And, and I think the thing we've expressed before that's important to understand is that, you know, the NBA schedule gets set in advance as does the NHL and we're all fighting, like both owners are fighting for maximum of like Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday day games, right? Yeah, those yeah. are, those are the games that the fans want to go to much more so than a Monday or Tuesday night game. And so you end up with a lot of schedule conflict and then you end up with playoff situations that get a little bit harder to resolve. and all that's doable for sure. All that's with careful planning. It's, it's all doable. But the part of it that gets a little bit challenging is obviously if somebody is coming through, you know, announces a concert tour and is going to come through town, a lot of those dates may be blacked out by the NBA and NHL teams. So I, I don't think for a city as vibrant as Seattle that loves music as much, I just can't think of why from a fan perspective you wouldn't think that two buildings would allow you to – have a greater diversity in the the acts that would come through Seattle.
0: Chris, you've been asked a million times about your relationship with the NBA after the Sacramento thing didn't work out. You've said, and I've read different quotes from you, something along the lines that it's nonsense that has been floated by others for their own benefit. That's about as politically correct as you could get. Would you know, or would Wally know, if somehow you've ruffled feathers in NBA league offices or with other owners? Yeah. I mean, I think that,
3: um, I think we would, you know, is what I would say. And and Adam has come out and publicly said that he didn't think it was an issue. And I also think that the most important thing I will tell you is it doesn't matter. Even if it was an issue, Mitch, I would never let this, my, my objective is to get a team back to Seattle if it did ever become an issue or was ever an issue, which I don't think it is what's going to happen. Like it's great. Like somebody else can come in, Uh, you know, if if there's another ownership group that wants to come in and is determined to play outside of key arena and the NBA says, Chris Hansen get involved. Great. Take the real estate, build the arena here. I'll still buy season tickets. That's the part of it that irks more is people think I would somehow stand in the way of any of this. And, my first, second, third, fourth, fifth priority right. is making sure that Seattle puts its first best foot forward to get a team and that we get a team. Everything else is secondary. On one hand, back to the, the the meat of the question, a lot of owners also feel sorry for us, you know. They were really rooting for the team to come to Seattle and, you know, they felt like we had put together a really good ownership group and maybe that it didn't work out the way that it should have. So I think there's people on both sides of that equation, but I think Broadly speaking, the NBA just wants, like, what does the NBA want? The NBA wants the best capitalized ownership group with the best building solution possible so that the economics are good for that ownership group and any ownership groups that would eventually succeed them. And that their group of owners that are very passionate about basketball and are dedicate the time to make the business of owning the Sonic successful on the court and off the court uh, in the community and also just financially successful. So the NBA is looking for an entire solution here, like the optimal solution. And again, if I'm part of that process, which I would definitely like to be, great. If I'm not part of that process, I'll see you at the game sitting somewhere close watching. So,
0: Has the Roosevelt High... Graduate, what, class of 85, 86? What are you? 86, yeah. Oh, geez, you're six. You're a year younger than me, which pisses me off. Has the Roosevelt High class of 86 graduate ever had a chance to join other NBA ownership groups over the years?
3: Yeah, for sure, definitely.
0: And, and, I mean,
3: what, what I would say to you is that assuming that you check the boxes as just like a good person and you're p- passionate about basketball – there's ample opportunities, not just for me. I mean, this isn't that exclusive is all I'm saying. Like, to be a minority owner in the Warriors or any team, assuming that the owner, you know, the owner doesn't usually want to put all the equity in and he wants the minority owners. If you're a good guy, you don't have a criminal record, you do things the right way, the league is probably going to put up for you as a, as a minority. And so many of these groups, as you know, have 10, 15, 20, And what
0: I I also know, Chris, is what you just said is that the NBA is very, very I mean, they scrutinize every owner in that group. They take a look up and down. And if you've had opportunities to be an owner of another NBA team, doesn't that really speak to the grand issue or the bigger issue, whether the NBA's got a problem with Chris
4: Hansen? Yeah, I mean, I would just say this.
3: Uh, don't forget, Mitch, we went through the due diligence process when we were going to buy exactly. the Sacramento right. That's right. So we, we got uh, a full taste of what the NBA's due diligence process looked like for an ownership group and how they peered into our financial wherewithal and personal backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they did very good work, and I I would assume that they continued to do very good work. So I've been fortunate enough, even coming from Rainier Valley, to do things the right way for, you know, the important things in my life and stayed out of trouble and had a a successful profession. And I don't want to say I've never done anything wrong, but obviously we made it through our entire group, made it through this process before with flying colors. So I I really don't think there's, you know, anything with anybody in our ownership group that would cause the NBA to, to be concerned. And it's highly likely that our ownership group, would expand or we would just partner with somebody. I mean, again, I think this is most important that I really just want to make sure that everybody in Seattle understands, let's say some new person comes in and says, that's great. Chris Wally Nordstrom's that you guys and and Russell, that you guys acquired all this land and, and did all this work. But I really want to write the biggest check and be the majority owner. And then maybe another guy comes in and says that too. Like, we will partner with the winner. Like, you know, <laughs> if, if, to the extent that it's not us, right. the only objective here is to get a, a building built if that's needed and to get a team back to Seattle. So you will see us bend over backwards to be accommodated to put Seattle in the best position. And, and you will never see us be an impediment. Uh, that I can assure you irrespective of what anybody else says, right. we will not be an impediment. We will be an advocate for Seattle, and we will be trying to do everything possible to improve our odds, even if that means playing UK Arena.
0: Break my heart. What was the Sacramento thing going to cost? Uh, what was the team going to cost? Yeah. How many years ago? I mean, I think it was, it's three and a that half. That was 2012-13, yeah. and yeah.
3: The, the final price that he uh, did, I want to say, was close to $600
0: million. And now it's going to be two and a half billion. Yeah, and I mean I think the more important
3: thing that that you know you have to know is that the debt has not risen in line with the the franchise prices, right? So back then you were really deducting 150 million that you could borrow from that price, which was about when we originally started at like 500 ish. You know that was a third, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, now you know the, the escalation in price has not been met by a corresponding increase pro corresponding increase in debt capacity so that leaves a lot of equity cash equity that it's going to take to acquire these and it's not just the NBA oh you know prices in football have gone up and prices in yeah and baseball have gone up too and and sports prices have gone up and it's a much more expensive proposition and I think that has rightfully dwindled the number of people in the world that qualify as a majority owner and then I think when you um when you overlay that with people that are passionate about basketball, that number gets much smaller. Particularly as you look outside the U.S., where soccer is king, and the, and the majority of like really wealthy people are attracted to La Liga, Premier League, yeah, Serie A, yeah. I think it's expanding, and we have had a lot of international owners coming in, into the league. But if I had to speculate, I would guess the uh, majority owner pool for willing to write a $500 million check to be an owner in Seattle is definitely less than 100 people.
0: Well, what jersey are you going to wear to opening night, no matter where they play? Uh, I'll probably rotate a
3: few jerseys. I think I'd probably have to start with uh, Peyton and Kemp just because that's my era, but I'd be rocking my KD jersey too. KD. You're going
0: to do wardrobe changes in the middle of a game? Uh, no, I mean two series of games. No, no, you know? no. I'm talking. Uh, I'm talking I mean, game one. Game one, Chris. Come on, make a commitment. Yeah, maybe,
3: I'll, maybe maybe I'll have to split it between a, a camp and a paid jersey. Maybe I will have to do a wardrobe to, <laughs> you know, change because those are my guys. That's my era and those are my guys. And dang shame we didn't win a title when we had those two special guys here. So,
0: Be nice to get those guys into the organization back somehow, some way, once the Sonics somehow end up back here in Seattle. That's for sure.
3: Yeah, I think they will. You know, I I think they're very passionate about the team. Uh, You know, when we were close to acquiring the Kings, they were both very, very interested in being involved. And, uh, you know, there's a ton of ways to get involved when you have a team in the city. I think that the thing people forget is how much community outreach, how many other opportunities there are than, than just things like scouting or player development or... You know the business side of it uh, of the team. I mean, a team being in the city is just such a great outcome in in all the other intangibles that it brings. And I think you'll see, you know, a lot of people want to get involved beyond even Gary and 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 Sean. I mean, Dallas still lives up there, and, and Jack lives up there, and Freddie sure. Brown lives, you know, sure, sure. in Seattle. So I mean, there's a there's a tremendous amount of very passionate ex-sonics that stuck around and would be i'm sure overjoyed to be involved in any capacity they could
0: chris hansen great to visit with you thank you for doing the show appreciate it very much i wish you and your family the best and a much better 21 than all of us had in 20 thank you chris
3: i do i appreciate it thanks for having me mitch
0: so we're all allowed back in restaurants And Lindsey Schwartz of Daniel's Broiler is with us on Mitch Unfiltered. Lindsey, what's the news since the dining room's opened?
4: It's been great. We can now seat up to 25% capacity in our dining rooms. When you couple that with the outdoor dining options that we have and the takeout delivery. It's been a busy time for us. So we're we're excited to be back indoors and feeling really optimistic.
0: So no longer a dilemma for high-end restaurants, whether it makes economic sense to be open at 25%.
4: I think it's different for everybody, but in our case, because we have the outdoor dining options available Mm -hmm. and we do takeout delivery, when you throw 25% indoor dining on top of that, it works out well for us. So we, we feel fortunate that we're able to do it again.
0: And what's this I hear about a Daniel's Broiler cocktail mixer available for purchase on Amazon? Explain that to me.
4: It's super cool. My brother, Danny, who's president of the company, he came up with the idea, uh, went to market with the first item, which is an old-fashioned cocktail mixer. We've got three more coming. The first one is now available on Amazon, and uh, we're having trouble keeping it in stock. The sales are, wow. are so big, and, and it's selling all over the country. So we're excited to get the other three out there and, and uh, make them available in local grocery stores soon. It's going to be a fun item.
0: That's really cool. So Daniel's Shy, South Lake Union, and Bellevue, they're all open at dining rooms at 25%, and with Valentine's Day coming that could make it a little bit of a challenge to get in. you got to be flexible on when you celebrate your Valentine's Day at Daniel's.
4: Yeah, the good news is Valentine's Day is on a Sunday this year, so it kind of gives you the whole weekend, so Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. But all three of those days are filling up, so might have to extend it to to Monday or Tuesday. It's going to be a really busy weekend, a lot of action, and it should be a lot of fun.
0: We love Daniel's broiler, a great partner, and a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered.
1: Sitting on 714. 14 Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left-center field. That ball is gonna be... Out of here! It's gone! It's 7-15! There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron.
6: I stand here today
7: because God gave me a healthy body a sound mind and talent for 23 years i took the talent that god gave me and developed it to the best of my ability 23 years ago i never dreamed that this high honor would come to me for it was not fame
6: i sought but rather to be the best baseball player that i could possibly be
0: when i heard the news of the passing of the incomparable henry aaron As so many of us, I spontaneously reflected upon my youth and admiration for the man. I also remembered a terrific documentary in the 90s about Aaron. It was called Chasing the Dream. What I didn't know is it was nominated for an Academy Award. Denzel Washington was involved, and its writer-director would go on to a fabulous career in film— including the movie Radio and Varsity Blues and Coach Carter, the TV show Arliss and so many others. He's also the executive producer of an Emmy Award winning show called The Last Dance. You may have heard of it. The 10 part Michael Jordan series. Here's Mike Tolan. Hi, Mike. Thanks for being with us.
7: Good to be with you, Mitch. Appreciate
0: it. So tell us, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed but I'm starting to get the feeling that you have a little sports in your blood and your background.
7: <laughs> well, the, the, the problem is that the specificity of that element in my blood is all Philly-based, so can you imagine the torture? Can you imagine... The little boy who went to bed every night with the transistor radio in his ear and watched as the Phillies blew a six and a half game lead with 12 to play. So that's where I started, which creates a life where uh, you live with low expectations and you hope to be pleasantly surprised. Well, I
0: guess the only natural first question then, Mike, is your favorite tasty cake. When was the last time you were asked what your favorite Tasty Cake is?
7: It's been a while, but it's an easy answer. It's by a landslide, Butterscotch Crimpets, don't you think?
0: <laughs> yes, I do. I do indeed. I'm, I'm in agreement all the way through. Any truth to the rumor? that your 1970s radio Stanford play-by-play day solidified your, your future <laughs> career direction,
7: Mike? <laughs> it's been all downhill since there, man. We, we had a solidly underachieving Cardinal team, um, barely played 500 ball, but, man, the, to get paid for doing what you do, man, you feel like you're stealing money every day, don't you?
0: No, you're stealing money every oh, day. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh,
7: no, that was a blast. I still have, as a matter of fact, those buddies of mine, Gary Cohen, Rich Don. It's Robert Dean and I. We were called the Four Donkeys. We we were the Stanford Sports Network because uh, there was nobody else to take that claim from us. And this Saturday, just to show how close we are still to our roots, we're all Zooming with Johnny Bench, who was the host of our Baseball Bunch Baseball Bunch, show. Yes, there you, yes. There you go. I'll tell you when I feel really old when all these guys say, oh, man, you made shows for me when I was five years old. I watched all your shows when I was a kid.
0: I love the Baseball Bunch. You were the co-creator. Of the baseball bunch, right?
7: Yeah, Johnny's the best. I saw him the other day on the Hall of Fame show on the network. And do you hear the story about how he put all his memorabilia up for sale? Stop if you know where this goes. He, uh, he, you know, he's got young kids now, a second family, two kids, 10 and 14. He thought, why not provide some financial stability for these kids? We'll have, yep. you know, the college funds all set. So he puts it all up for auction. It raises more than a million bucks. The auction house says, okay, Johnny, we got a big check to give you. It's a seven figure check. Oh, but, oh, Oh, by the way the guy who bought it is a friend of yours a guy named al from philly and he's giving you all your stuff oh, back that is a great story wow yeah, makes me really happy
0: is he plan to go through it
7: again <laughs> <laughs> i'll ask him on saturday on this zoom that'll be my first question <laughs> my
0: 1974 has been so long So many in our audience not old enough to remember Aaron's pursuit of the babe and how complicated it was. I've remarked that I remember that Monday night. I remember as a kid getting ready to celebrate my seventh birthday, being with my dad in the family room, watching that night, watching that home run. For our audience that doesn't understand the complication, it was far from just a ball player trying to break a
7: hallowed record. For sure. Well, look, in 1961, Roger Maris set out after the Babes record, the single season mark of 60 home runs. Actually... Uh, Mickey Mantle and Roger were both in pursuit. Mantle ended up with 54, I think. Maris got to 61. And his hair fell out. He was under such pressure. And that was just because he was breaking the record of a maybe the most hallowed athlete of the first half of century. Um, I think if you looked back now, you'd probably put Muhammad Ali and Michael Jordan uh, atop the babe in terms of sports icons. But there was nobody bigger than the babe. And he was a Yankee to have the temerity to pass the record of the greatest yankee of all time so now you add a little more than a decade later the issue of race i think what roger was up against was just you know sort of pride of the babe and you know the 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 worship that yankee fans had for him but man oh man i mean the the stories are legendary and i can attest to the fact that henry aaron had literally a trunk full of hate mail and this was not this wasn't kidding this wasn't kibitzing this wasn't sort of you know trying to you know get get an athlete's goat this was angry this was really violent i mean all i can compare to in today's terms is is that insurrection on january 6th at the capitol these were angry evil militant people who were out for blood i literally went up to his attic one very hot Sunday morning after brunch with Henry and his wife, Billy. I asked for permission, I'd heard the legend. I said, do you really have your hate mail saved in a trunk? He said, yes, I said, could I go see it? I'd like to include it in the film. And he said, by all means. And I spent an hour and a half fishing through it all, collected a folder full, went back, put it in front of the cameras. You could see it in the film. Well, if you could see the film Chasing the Dream, unfortunately that's a whole other story. It's now, um, there were some rights issues. Really? And, uh, I don't yeah, know you can not You can't really get it. Um, I'm kind of making a push now. I'm hoping that by the start of the baseball season, I can work out these rights. Any money that would come from it would go right to the Chasing the Dream foundation which is what we set up with Henry and his family so it's not about making money it's just really about honoring him his the memory of him the great deeds that he did both during and after his baseball career but anyway the notes he had a an Atlanta policeman who was assigned 24 7 to watch Henry Aaron this was armed guard and On that night, on April 8th, 1974, when those two knuckleheads came out of the stands and met Hank Aaron between second and third base, Calvin Wardlaw, the Atlanta policeman, pulled the pistol out of his binocular case and had it poised and pointed at these two kids. Now, for the telling of the story, I actually went and found those two kids who were still living in in Georgia. I got them to do interviews. I got them to recount the story of how eh, they just, They figured it'd be a fun lark. They were drinking heavily. Big surprise. They thought there was really no security. Let's go do this as a prank. They were just out there for, you know, their 15 minutes of fame. And so I'm intercutting between them telling their story and Calvin Warlow, the policeman, saying, you know, when they got to Henry and they put their arms around him, I had to make a judgment and I decided these kids were just out having fun and they weren't a serious threat. Wow. And I come back to cut back to the two kids and they go, well, we want to commend Mr. Wardlow on his excellent <laughs> judgment.
0: <laughs> you know, Hank Aaron was just a soft spoken, gentle man who even described himself as a loner, Mike. I know you know that. Do you think that Aaron ever came to peace? I mean, here were these notes up in the attic or wherever they were. Did he ever come to peace with all the off-field stuff? Or did he live his life bitter from that aspect of it all?
7: Oh, Henry Aaron was a man of peace, Mitch. This is a guy I always say we should all have an Uncle Henry. Uh, Oh, man, what a life. You know, it's interesting. He was 86 years old when he died. Almost half and half he finished his career in 76, so it was 44 years ago. So 42 years of a baseball-infused life and then uh, f- 40, f- 44 after his career. And you could make an argument that his post-baseball career had a greater impact on our society, um, was bigger even than his achievements on the field. His words were often construed as bitter in the early days of his career. and. I really think it's more of an interpretation. Henry did not have a lot of formal education. Henry was not schooled and polished as a public speaker like so many of our athletes are now. Henry was not used to, you know, he played in Milwaukee and then Atlanta. He didn't play in media centers. And, you know, people would catch him off guard and he would say things off the cuff and then they would be misconstrued and all. It came across as bitter. He was just being honest. This is an independent thinker, a man who identified the racism as he saw it. I found records going back to the late 50s even. You know, he had a problem with some of his teammates like like Warren Spahn, who Uh was kind of of a known racist. Um, In the mid-60s, he did an article that was the cover of Jet Magazine where he talked about why isn't there a black manager in baseball. And in fact, it didn't happen for another 10 years. And and people like Frank Robinson, who became the first black manager in baseball, chided Henry for, for being so outspoken and said, Henry, keep it keep it on the download. You know, we could find ourselves back in the minor leagues. Henry didn't care. And so it was misinterpreted. But I can tell you, and it was said by Bill Clinton in a service in Atlanta, uh, no one I've ever met or no one you could ever imagine aged more gracefully than Henry Aaron. And and, and I'm going to borrow some more words from from Bill. Uh, When it comes to Henry Aaron, you should measure his greatness by his goodness. We started a foundation Called the Chasing the Dream Foundation, named directly after the, the, the title of the film. And, and what Henry wanted to do, and what ultimately we've been able to do with the help of Major League Baseball and huge endowments. Um, hundreds and hundreds of kids, maybe thousands by now, millions of dollars have been distributed, all to allow inner city, underserved kids of color to chase their own dreams. And this isn't this isn't a baseball thing. This is a whatever it is that gives the kid a kid his sense of identity identity whatever it is that makes the kid excited when he gets up in the morning, whatever it is that gives the kid hope for his future, whether it's music or poetry or dance. Uh, And so that was his calling. You know, Henry was driven by helping as many kids as possible. Uh, When I think of Henry Aaron, I think of a man at peace to answer your question. I think of a gentle smile. I think a pat on the shoulder. I think of kindness and quiet. And he died in his sleep in his chair. Um, and very very much at peace and arguably with the most impactful life, life of anybody I can think of. Very
0: sweet words uh, from Mike Tolan. Mike, let's uh, segue to the Jordan series. Congratulations on the Emmy. that helped us starving sports fans get through some of the pandemic boredom. Uh, was there was there anything you guys and Jordan wanted to do that you didn't? Anyone you wanted to talk to? Any angle that you wish you could have covered, but it didn't either didn't get to or was turned away in the series?
7: Well, we didn't get everybody. There's always somebody that's elusive for whatever reasons. But gosh, we did 109 interviews. We had a pretty good batting average. <laughs> I think the mailman. Carl Malone, if we if we really want to call him out. He wasn't that interested in reliving those <laughs> those two finals. I mean, to lose twice in a row in the finals and never, I mean, arguably the greatest player ever to not win a championship. Charles Barkley might contest that. But uh, we had John Stockton talking for the Jazz. Of course, Jerry Sloan has passed. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody wanted to talk. Once Michael said yes after saying no for almost 20 years, uh, and he He and his team sent out a note authorizing, sanctioning this, saying, I'm participating in this documentary and I hope you'll join me in telling the story. You know, pretty much people lined up. Um, We crisscrossed the country several times. But by and large, I think, I mean, you tell me what you think, Mitch. For me, this was people tuning in to, to hear Michael finally yes, tell yes. his version, right? Yes, yes. And boy, did he lean in, and boy, was he honest. Yes. And when you think about those last three minutes of episode seven, when he nearly breaks down in tears, talking about his competitive fire and how it led to people thinking of him as an asshole, if I can say that on your podcast Um, and thinking of him, getting in fistfights and giving Steve Kerr a black eye and the alienation and 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 all of that just in the. Uh, Endless desire to be great. As he said eloquently, I never asked any of my teammates to do anything that I didn't ask of myself. Right. And, and And he paid a price. But ultimately, I think people responded and said, you know, that was his path to greatness.
0: I think the only thing that may have rubbed me a little bit the wrong way, and we talked about it on the podcast when it aired, was here he is how old is michael jordan now 55 56 years old 54 i
7: think 54 here he is you know you may be right yeah yeah go ahead
0: all these years later mike and i know that during the day it just wasn't within his character and nature to give credit to his opponents i kind of wanted to see him let the let the guard down a little bit and say something nice about, I mean, we're out here in Seattle, so we remember 95, 96. Say something right. nice about Gary Payton or Sean Kemp. Or, it just feels like even in his middle age, he has trouble offering credit to the opponent and to, to people he's, you know, the combat.
7: I love I love the moment, though, when he's when he's looking at the iPad and he goes, the glove, man, (laughs) I got no I got no problem with the glove. (laughs) I think he was gracious on a personal level, Mitch. he uh, he did he also acknowledged Isaiah Thomas's greatness as a he point did. guard. He did. He he just I gotta give him credit for, you know, sticking to his principles and you know, you think about that punk move of the Pistons walking off the court sure, there and sure. I don't know that i really care about him forgiving those guys. That that move just stands up as, you know, one of the all time low blows, especially after the, the Pistons had roundly defeated the Bulls year after year. Right. So look, it's what drives him, um, it's what it's what makes him you know, a terror on the golf courses now, from what I hear, right? (laughs) You know, he's gonna agonize over that three-foot putt, just like he would over that, you know, that last shot over Brian Russell. I just found Michael to be incredibly honest, authentic, giving of himself, By the way, this is not one of those guys living in a gilded palace all alone. Michael Jordan has great friends. Michael Jordan's got a a new family with young kids. Seems very actively involved in their life. He's got a grandchild now. I spent time with his kids. They have relationships with him. Talk about you know Henry Aaron and being at peace. I think Michael Jordan, at his mid-fifties, has found peace, and it was really my good fortune to come to him at a time when he felt comfortable enough to really tell his story.
0: Mike, it's been more than a year now since we so tragically lost Kobe Bryant, you recently reflected about Kobe's participation in the Jordan series. Talk to our audience so, about that. So
7: I'm a Philly guy. Um, I know. I, uh, <laughs> Butterscotch crimpets tells the story, well, right? <laughs> well, I only, I, I only say that to talk about the, the complexity of my relationship with Kobe as a Philly guy who considered him an expatriate who kind of abandoned us and didn't always speak highly of us. Kobe went through hell in his relationship with Philly fans. He was booed when he came back as part of the Lakers. Famously, my buddy Larry Platt, who ran Philly magazine, said the lowest circulation of any issue he ever published was the one with Kobe (laughs) on the cover came all the way around by the time of his retirement um he got standing ovations he talks about the goosebumps he talks about beyond his wildest dreams the way the philly fans embraced him the return of the all-star game later yeah Yep. Yep. so that was a beautiful thing obviously we needed an interview with Kobe Bryant, our great director Jason Hare, so prepared. Always knew what he wanted. Always knew, you know, the the breadth and depth of what he wanted to cover. And and ultimately, you know, he he got every all the facts and figures. And Kobe's memory was stellar, impeccable basically said you know how does it feel to have only won five and and you know your guy won six did you know sort of just sort of getting uh seeing if he could get a little rise out of him and, and kobe didn't smile and didn't didn't hesitate and kind of dismissed that which was surprising because we know how he kept score and we know how stat conscious he was and he said look it's not about that i owe everything to michael jordan he's my big brother He got emotional. He talked about the personal relationship. He talked about the phone calls he would make late at night, the advice he'd ask, not just basketball, but also handling the fame and the fortune and family stuff. And he talked about this extraordinary closeness. And so, okay, that was great. Not sure if we're buying it 100%. It sounds good. It's it's, it's great for the film. But after he died and the service was planned for Staples Center, michael jordan flew out there on his own Um, this is a guy who's still very very private he said i gotta be there you saw it. You remember. Yep. Michael Jordan bawled like a baby in describing Kobe Bryant as his, as his little brother. So it completely authenticated Kobe's remarks. Clearly, this was a mutual affection. It really moved me. It's, uh, it's, it, was, it was stunning to see Michael I'm so moved by that. We're now doing a film on the Redeem team which was the 2008 U.S. Olympic gold medal winning team. After they'd gotten crushed in 04, they came back in right. Beijing in 08. And it was, you know, it's funny, we've had a lot of guys talk about which was better, the Dream Team, which is considered the greatest team ever, or the Redeem Team. The Redeem Team had Kobe, LeBron, Carmelo, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade didn't even make the starting lineup. We found some amazing footage. It was Kobe's 30th birthday party. Oh, and the kids were little, and they had a birthday cake for him, and LeBron was leading the singing, and we're hoping maybe Vanessa will um, spend some time with us and reflect on it. It's obviously very raw right now, but um, it really was stunning to see, especially in LA, the outpouring of emotion for Kobe. He came as close to Michael as I guess anybody really could or ever will.
0: Mike, I love the fact I want to uh, shift gears a little bit here before you finish up. I love the fact that the USFL runs deep in your soul. Yes, sir. You were involved from the beginning all the way to the, the more recent 30 for 30 documentary on the league. I loved it. I love the league. I was a fan because it had big stars like Herschel Walker and Doug Flutie and Marcus <laughs> Dupree. I, I grew up in the same town as a guy named Anthony Carter. Somebody, some oh, of the audience yeah. would remember him. He played for the
7: Michigan team with
0: Bobby Airbear. In retrospect,
7: could it have survived? Yes. Sure. Look, um, he who will not be named <laughs> came in as an owner in the second season. Um, this is a man who recently lost his job and flew his helicopter from D.C. to Mar-a-Lago. I hopefully you get an idea By of By the I'm way, about. Mike, be
0: careful because he went to Penn, I think. So he's kind
7: of yeah. he's, he's got Philly roots, too. So how, <laughs> do he, how did he get into Penn? It's how did he get in? How much did old Fred have to pay to get him in? <laughs> (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, this guy comes into a spring league because the NFL wouldn't let him in and he says, If God wanted football to be played in the spring, he wouldn't have invented baseball. What are you doing crashing our party, man? Like, this thing's going well. They're getting great ratings on ABC, this new fledgling sports network called ESPN. This is its prime programming, two primetime nights a week. Like, we're going pretty good. We're getting 25,000, 30,000 fans at the stadiums. The Tampa Bay Bandits have have Burt Reynolds. I spent the 85 season with the Bandits doing a feature documentary with John Bassett, who tragically. Sure, sure, yeah. And when John Bassett died, the leadership of that league went away, and this man had free reign and a clear path, and he and he started an antitrust lawsuit, as you know. And when that failed, um, when, when, when they awarded the USFL $3, that was pretty much it for the USFL. But I think had they not gone astray and been bullied by this guy who obviously showed a pattern of bullying, There was a strike that came later the usfl guys could have filled in there might have been a merger look it's a great great memory for me and having having this gentleman walk out on me in the middle of an interview in my 30 for 30 film called small potatoes goes right up in the pantheon of my (laughs) proudest moments as a filmmaker
0: I try to stay away from politics the best I can, Mike. Oh, dear. Well,
7: you led me right down there. There's a there's a letter that I received from this man that probably is available online if you Google uh-huh. him and me. And uh-huh. uh, let's just say it ends with, "P.S. You are a loser." <laughs>
0: Well, I should have I should have read it before I had you on the show. I wouldn't add I don't like to have losers on the show, Mike.
7: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
0: so your Sorry. so your career is ripe with feature films and TV series and award-winning documentaries and inventions for basketball slam and What's the passion? It it feels to me like now I'm, you know, I'm a sports guy, so sure I'm going to say this, but it almost feels to me like you enjoy the documentary work more than the other stuff.
7: Nah, you know, you always enjoy what you're doing and then you get tired of it and can't wait to exercise another muscle. Right. One of the things I'm so grateful for is to be able to continue, my gosh, Henry Aaron, back to... Back to the hammer. You know, he always said to me, Mike, you want to be the tortoise, not the hare. Well, it was kind of like that with him and Willie Mays, right? Willie was always the bright light. Henry just kept plodding along. Here's the home run king. Sorry, Barry, I'm still calling him the home run king. Here's the home run king with 755 who never hit more than 47 homers in a year. Anyway, the point is um, to be able to be doing what I'm doing for God, it's hard for me to even admit it. More than 40 years still telling stories. What's great about sports as a backdrop is that it is community, right? right? It is what what is a greater source of bonding between generations, between friends. I mean, I have all of these different text chains or email groups, and it's all based on, you know, last night during the Sixers-Lakers game, I, you know, all, all night long with my buddies from Philly about like, and has got to step up or Simmons has to be more proactive or like oh my gosh we're, we're you know we're losing the lead in the fourth quarter it's such a it's such a source of joy for me I brainwashed my kids growing up in LA to be Philly sports fans so to be able to get these t- stories and inspire people and sometimes give insight into these characters who really had an impact in the world beyond beyond the white lines um kind of lucky guy yeah you are
0: and we're lucky to have you too, with all your great work. We'll look for the 2008 piece. Is that the next one we should uh,
7: we should look out for from Mike? There's Tolan? a lot. There's a lot going on. We have a film with Drew Brees, um, who had you know a remarkable career. Um, we have a few things that we can't quite announce that are in the hopper. That okay. as soon as the COVID breaks, okay. we're staying busy. Um, we're just going to keep telling stories till uh, they kick us out.
0: Executive producer and director Mike Tolan. If you get a chance to see the Hank Aaron piece, you've got to do so. And he's got all kinds of other works, which we can talk about in your absence. Mike, thank you for being on Mitch Unfiltered. My pleasure. Look who's here. Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage. Jordan, it's great to have you back. Give us an overview on what's going on in
6: your world. Thank you. The market is incredibly hot. 2021, interest rates are still low and people are taking advantage of interest rates in the two still. They're also getting pre-approved with us to win offers on buying a house with how hot the purchase market is as well.
0: So if you're considering selling a house these days, this is a, a great time to do it
6: it's a fantastic time to be looking at selling your house. If you are considering selling, this is the optimal time to be doing it. You can reach out to our team. If you don't have a trusted real estate professional, we work with a lot of top 1% brokers in the area. If you have a trusted real estate professional, I'd advise you reaching out to them. If you are thinking about selling your house, because the inventory is so low, we're seeing multiple offers upwards of 20 to 30 bids per home and prices escalating 200000 over list right now in a lot of areas.
0: For those of us that are thinking about refinancing and calling you and getting the numbers, how does How does inflation play a part of all this?
6: Yeah, we saw a scare here the last week with rates starting to tick up with some concern about inflation, which is bad for long-term debt. So your bond market. We've had a kind of stabilizing and rebound a little bit. Rates are still in the high twos. But if you were thinking about giving us a call and just seeing if any numbers work, now would be the time to do it.
0: Five or eight minutes on a phone call with either Jordan or a member of his team, we'll uh, let you know what the numbers are and whether it makes sense for you and your family. And the best phone number to reach you guys...
6: Office line still 425-250-3145. And the cell phone's 425-890-2957.
0: We love Jordan Flowers. We love the Kirkland office of Guild
4: Mortgage. Unfiltered. I am delighted to announce that this morning, the Board of Governors unanimously approved a plan of expansion that will bring a National Hockey League team to Seattle, Washington, to play beginning in the 2021-2022 season. Seattle, the NHL is thrilled to welcome you.
8: Release the Kraken.
4: Hey,
0: it's a homecoming of sorts for our next guest on Mitch Unfiltered. He used to cover the dogs for the Tacoma News Tribune and now back in Seattle after a stop in Denver, I believe, he will head the Athletic. I love the Athletic. I'm a subscriber. Goal-to-goal coverage of the new Seattle Kraken. Here's Ryan Clark. Hi, Ryan.
9: Hey, Mitch. How's it going?
0: Hey, it's nice to have you. Nice to be back in Seattle after how How long were you gone?
9: A uh, little bit more than two years. So, yeah, I mean, it's strange because, like, I had been back to work on some projects, so it's one of those you leave and you see what's different, but it wasn't like you were gone all that long. And plus I've had so many layovers in CTAC, it's like Oh, yes, I used to live here. But instead of actually going out the door, I'm just going to be gay.
0: <laughs> I admit it. I laughed at your opening line of a recent piece. When will things get cracking for the cracking? Am I the only guy? Am I no, the-
9: y- <laughs> you're not. And that was for the crowd of people who think, like, that joke is hilarious and love dad jokes. Dad jokes are not funny. They never have been. They never will be. Um, yeah, I know. I probably just lost a
0: lot of listeners with that. <laughs> hey, Thanks be so honest. <laughs> thanks a lot. So as a new hockey fan that doesn't know the right questions to ask Ryan, what should we be leading with? I'm assuming that period of time between the July 21st expansion draft, then the real NHL draft, then the start of free agency. These are decisions that are going to shape the early years of the organization for the Kraken, and I'm certain that you're going to you're going to graduate to how other NHL teams will do it differently. This time around in terms of protection because we all know even guys like me know how quickly Vegas was was great out of the shoot Sure I mean
9: let's start with the expansion draft I mean you think about what happened with Vegas in 2017 and one of the things that's been talked about is if you're an NHL general manager, how do you avoid getting into the situation that saw the Florida Panthers lose Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith? And when you look at what's made Vegas successful, they've been a part of it. Or the Minnesota Wild with Alex Tuck, which he's a player who's 24, 6'4", has 20-goal potential. So how do you avoid that? Where it gets complicated is well, the thing that's made everything in life complicated, COVID-19. And as it relates to the NHL, the NHL has now instituted a flat salary cap of $81.5 million. And so we saw this past offseason, especially in free agency, how that flat cap really impacted contracts and salaries for players that would have been paid much more money in a regular year. And so when you take the flip side of what this means for the Kraken and Ron Francis, It's the fact that there's going to be teams, let's say like the Tampa Bay Lightning, who already have cap issues that Ron Francis, if you're him, you're looking at and going, okay, where can we take advantage? There's going to be teams like the Dallas Stars that, yes, they have financial considerations to make. But when you look at it like this, in the sense of what goalie do you protect between Ben Bishop or Anton Hudobin, who got you to a Stanley Cup final, like that's an interesting conversation, especially when you consider Hudobin's cap hit is relatively cheap compared to other options that are out there. But then there's the NHL entry draft, which Again, in a regular non-COVID year, scouts from every club would be going to all these different leagues to look at what's available. Right. This year, there are some scouts that can't get into buildings because, again, everything's been on lockdown. But when you look at some of these developmental leagues, let's take like the WHL, which, of course, the Seattle Thunderbirds and Everett Silvertips play in, that's a league that hasn't even started yet. And you might be getting, at this point, 15, 20, 25 games at most footage on a player and so a lot can happen between when a player is a 16 year old versus when they go into their draft year as a 17 or 18 year old depending again upon their birth date and then that leads us to free agency and what's going to be interesting with the Kraken is what kind of money are they going to be able to spend because what they do in the expansion draft of course will determine their cap number but what they could do in free agency depending on how much money they have they could really have an interesting haul depending upon how it all breaks so
0: so when it all comes out into the wash ryan obviously nobody expects the the seattle kraken to win the nhl stanley cup the first year but would you expect knowing what you know this to be a competitive team like a playoff contending team or are we looking like expansion looked in the nfl 100 years ago when the buccaneers lost every game the first two years
9: When you look at some of the projections, you think maybe this could be a team that could potentially challenge for a playoff spot, somewhere in the seven or eight range. But again, it all depends. So like when you look at the models that we did at The Athletic, Eric DeHatchcheck, myself, that was based off of what teams looked like at the start of the season. When the trade deadline gets here, there is going to be some rosters that are going to look different. So, for example, when you look at the trade that happened between the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Winnipeg Jets, where Jack Roslovic and Patrick Laine go to Columbus and Pierre-Luc Dubois goes to Winnipeg, that changes the calculus for what those teams look like. All of a sudden, players that you thought may not have been available could be available.
0: And they'll only know for four days... I think i read in a recent piece right they'll they'll only know the unprotected list for four days before the expansion drought
9: yes and so like they can do all the guesstimating in the world um, I mean, there's going to be some teams that are obviously like clearly, you know who the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to protect, but then where it gets complicated is so here's a really good example. Take someone like the New Jersey Devils. That's a team that right now has a lot of young talent that's still trying to sort and sift some things out. And so at the beginning of the season, you would look at Miles Wood and go, okay, maybe Miles Wood is a candidate. Well, right now, Miles Wood is having a really strong season for them. So maybe it's not him. Maybe it's someone like Igor Govic who Igor Sharongovich had a game-winning goal in one of the opening games of the Devils' season, and he is someone who is a center with height that they can move around throughout the top nine. You can put him on the edge, you can put him down the middle. So that's just it. Is if you're the Kraken, you're thinking about these things. And look, if you end up with Sharon Govich or Miles Wood, you would think like, okay, those are the possibilities. But at the same time, you won't know until the lists are out.
0: Ryan, who's going to be the first coach, and when is that guy going to be hired? Can they hire a head coach away from another team or will they hire an assistant? Will they hire a head coach who's out of work right
9: now? Sure. So let's start with when the answer to that timeline is no one knows. And that's something that Ron Francis and the Kraken have been really good about in the sense of saying they don't want what's going on with them out there. And it's easy to understand why, because, again, they're trying to make a decision in a league where everybody's making decisions. But as far as candidates, I mean, there are a couple. So if you're looking at coaches with NHL experience who are out of the league right now, the names that come up are Gerard Gallant, Bruce Boudreau, and there have been people who've wondered about Mike Babcock, which we'll address here in a second. But with Gallant, it's the easy fit in the sense of he knows what it means to lead an expansion franchise. He's someone that he's had success everywhere he's been. With someone like Bruce Boudreau, Bruce Boudreaux's only had two seasons when his teams didn't make the playoffs. And not only that, but I mean, he is someone that can get success right away. And also, when you think about who the head coach of an expansion franchise is going to be, especially in a city like this, You are coming to a non-traditional market where having as many faces of your organization as you can is an important thing. And with Gallant, he's done it before. And with Boudreaux, he has one of the larger personalities that you're going to find on an NHL bench. When you look at Mike Babcock, it's an interesting conversation because, yes, Mike Babcock checks a lot of boxes in the sense of he has won, he's won everything, his teams have success. But when you look at his recent history that has come out with players like Mitch Marner and Johan and the fact that Chris Chelios has spoken up about it, the number one issue that gets raised is when you look at the Kraken's progressive approach, does hiring someone like Mike Babcock fight in the face of that? The answer from people that you talk to around the league is, yes. Yeah, Yes, it would. But again, Mike Babcock's name is going to be thrown out there because he is Mike Babcock.
0: What what am I missing?
9: What are his former players saying about him? So for those who missed out on it, we'll try to keep it short. Mike Babcock, when he was dismissed from the Toronto Maple Leafs, it got out that he asked Mitch Marner, who at the time was a rookie, to rate the effort of his teammates. And then he let it be known that Marner did this. So Babcock spoke to our Pierre Lebrun and clarified the situation. Whereas if with Johan Franzen, the long, let's just say this, the, the best way to explain that story is Johan Franzen felt like he was driven to a point where Mike Babcock was neglectful of his feelings as a coach and just didn't respect him as a player and as a human being. And that's something Chris Chelios has, has talked about, and it's been covered extensively. And so from it has come this conversation of, Babcock, when you look at player polls like we've done at the Athletic Anonymous player polls, his name is on the list of guys that, play, that players just do not want to play for. And so if you're taking a team where it's the island of misfit toys, because these are players that weren't protected, it's been raised. Is this the kind of coach that you want to have in that environment? So again, with Mike Babcock, it's an interesting just conversation and discussion for a lot of different reasons. Now, when you look at coaches that are in the NHL, the, the challenge there from a league source that I spoke to for a recent story said, with coaches that are currently under contract the hard part with that is yes this might be the last year of their deal but what if they sign a new contract now all of a sudden that person's name is off the board and you're back at square one it's not to say that it can't happen but it's completely different compared to someone who's outside the league now when you look at assistant coaches in the league there are definitely all sorts of different options joe sacco who's an assistant with the Boston Bruins. That was the former head coach of the Colorado Avalanche. His name comes up. Lane Lambert, who's the associate head coach for the New York Islanders, is a name that a lot of people have talked about. He's interviewed uh, for jobs, especially the, the Anaheim Ducks job. And what makes Lambert so interesting is he's been a longtime pupil of Barry Trotz. And, of course, when you think about the Nashville Predators, when they were an expansion franchise, they hired Trotz, and Trotz had no NHL head coaching experience. And with Barry Trotz, they were able to find a coach who was really the face of that organization of course he leaves he goes to the washington capitals leads them to a stanley cup he's now with the new york islanders and lane lambert has been someone who's been around trot for the better part of a decade and so maybe you look at someone like him or they could go outside of north america and look at someone at ricard gronborg so with ricard gronborg he has won everything you can imagine with the swedish national team and the thought has been if there's going to be a coach you grab from outside of europe ricard Gronborg is the number one name that comes up and so the thing is this the kraken have got options
0: let's get to the important stuff how about a mascot can i get can, can i can we make a trade for gritty i know about gritty in philadelphia i like him don't think that's happening
9: don't think that's happening <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of reasons that's not happening, but the big one is is just if, if you're the Flyers, I mean, <laughs> you took something that initially people in your own city just were not fans of, but the minute someone outside of Philadelphia said something, Gritty became the embodiment love of, of that city. And now, like, every time Gritty does something. I love Gritty. <laughs> well, people stop what they're doing. And so, like, if you're the Flyers, you're just like, sorry, we're, we're not giving him up.
0: What's the mascot going to be like? Are they going to go out and and actually get a Kraken, a sea monster? Is it going to be uh, a mascot that doesn't necessarily match the nickname of the team like the Mariners did with the Mariners moose? Or or are we not? Does every NHL team have a mascot? Well, not every NHL team
9: has a mascot. I mean, some have them. Some had them later than others, but not every team does. But when you look at what the cracking can do I mean and, and let's take the conversation that was had on The Athletic with Johnny Greco um, who is one of the two people who's leading this conversation as well as Lamont Buford who they are the two people who are they're the brain trust behind all this they have done all the research imaginable and so one of the points that Buford and Greco made was is they looked at what works here in Seattle because look there is a theme like whether it's The Moose, Blitz, Boom, Doppler, uh, Sammy the, the, the sounder, which is an orca whale. Um, even when you look at Harry the Husky, the Cougar, like you, you name it, like there is something regional that exists. And if it's not regional in the case of Doppler, it ties to the name storm and all that. And so for them, it's kind of like, do you kind of tap into that? Cause they've even gone as far as studying the Ivar's dancing clams to get inspiration oh in the God. sense of like what works for Seattle. But then on the flip side, It goes back to the fact that the Kraken have kind of made a little bit of a name for themselves off the fact that they go against the grain of what we normally expect. So is there an expectation there that they're going to come up with something that maybe deviates away from that,
0: but at the same time, it still feels authentic. It feels Seattle. It feels like their own. There's going to be a mascot. We just don't know yet what the mascot's name or Or look is going to be like. We know that the games are going to be broadcast locally in the Seattle area on Root Sports Television. Is my old radio station going to do the radio thing or is it going to be seven ten? Which one's going on the radio? At this point, it
9: appears KJR would be the front runner for this reason. If you're ESPN, you already have the Mariners. You've got the Seahawks. Correct and you also have Washington State. So you already got a full slate. And of course, like everyone in media, people are having to be smart about how they manage money and maybe financially it's, it's too much to leverage. Whereas if you're KJR, you've been really aggressive about trying to get rights in the last few seasons. They were able to get the Sounders, they get the Huskies back. And when you look at the fact that the Kraken are out there, it would give them something else. And more importantly, it would give them a chance to really own the winter sports landscape in this environment. And so if you're KJR, KJR it's something that makes sense so you would think right now KJR could have the edge but again it's one of those things where you just never know but for now it seems like KJR might have the opening for it.
0: And then There's an NBA team that could come along in a few years, and you have to figure out how do you do hockey and the NBA at the same time. Latest on the arena, anything that we need to know about? It's going to be done on time. It's spectacular. Everybody raves about it, Ryan?
9: Yeah, I mean, right now, the thing is, the arena looks like it's going to be set on time. Um, The projection that we were given not that long ago was, again, fall of of this year, so it should be ready for preseason, and same thing with the Kraken training facility. So when it comes to those projects, it looks like, yes, right now, it's going to be on time
0: Ryan Clark there he is you've got him he's back in Seattle covering the Kraken and the entire NHL for the Athletic if you're not a subscriber for the Athletic that's your own fault you're making a huge mistake and you just heard why the coverage of the Kraken is going to be top notch on the Athletic Ryan it's great to visit with you welcome home and don't be a stranger to Mitch Unfiltered
9: definitely thanks again for having me I appreciate
0: it Okay, round two time. Make Mitch look silly with investment trivia. Here's Katie Versio, a senior financial planner of Evergreen Golf Call. Hi Katie, I think I was one and a half out of three last time, something like that, 50%.
8: (laughs) Yes, hi Mitch, thanks for having me. I'm excited to see how you do this time. Okay, question one, go. So we've all seen GameStop in the news. Which of the following is correct regarding short selling? Unlimited upside. Two, there's unlimited downside. It generates an income stream or it hedges your position
0: well because jeff dix of evergreen golf call was on a recent show i know the answer to this it can go up up and away it could go up as high as it wants to go so there's unlimited downside because when Mm -hmm. you short a stock you're rooting for it to go down and it could go up forever.
8: That's right. Yes. So you're correct. It's number two. There's unlimited downside. So that's why it can be so dangerous because it's unlike if you were to just buy a stock, what we'd call long, where you know the price can't go below zero.
0: All right. I'm one for one.
8: Okay. So with tax season coming up, individuals need to remember to make their IRA contributions for 2020 before April 15th. So for individuals that are under the age of 50, what's the maximum that you can contribute? Is it $10,000, $6,000, $19,000, or $1,000?
0: Yeah, I know the answer to this. For many, many years, even though I'm now over the age of 50, my accountant every year in April would tell me to make this contribution to my IRA, and I would grumble, but I did it. And it was $6,000 every year.
8: Correct. Uh, Yeah, you're two for two here. It's important to remember to make those ongoing contributions. I know it can be a little bit of a pain, but you get a little bit of a break because you've got until... April 15th of the next year to make them. And if you're over the age of 50, you actually get another thousand dollars so you can contribute up to $7,000. Two
0: for two, I'm going for the clean sweep, Katie.
8: Okay, so 2020 was obviously a very turbulent year. Uh, What was economic growth for the year as measured by GDP? Was it zero or flat on the year? Was it negative three and a half percent? Was it negative six point two percent, or was it up one percent? Gross
0: domestic product, right? That's right. I'm gonna go down six percent. It was a bad year.
8: Oof. So actually, uh, you got that one incorrect. The correct answer is actually two, negative three and a half percent. You know, we saw some of the sharpest decline in GDP back in the spring, in March and April, but the second half of the year actually rebounded quite a bit. So. So that's why it's not down as much as it could have been
0: well two for three in my second go around i'm still going up i'm going three for three the next time she's katie <laughs> versio and she's a senior financial planner with evergreen golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the northwest unfiltered 129. Don't forget for the patrons this week, and if you want to become a patron, just go to MitchUnfiltered.com, click Become a Patron. Five bucks a month to get all the other shows that are out there. We do two or three other shows yep. each week. Uh, we'll have a new show, 129P, a full show. We hope, yeah. Debuting on Thursday. Why?
1: Well, you know, I'm traveling. Uh, and, you know, I'm a big world traveler now, well, we can, so... We-
0: the show doesn't go on without you. <laughs> no, I, you're the bread and
1: butter. Yes, this is the show, right? You're the here, big you're boy. the straw that <laughs> yeah, the, stirs the drink, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. Marshawn Lynch is everywhere these days. Yeah, he's got commercials. Okay, he's but in, a, in Seattle he was a mute. Yeah. All right. Oh, now now yeah. he comes to life oh, all yeah. of a
0: sudden. Well, yeah. And, and I, he loves Conan O'Brien.
1: I, that I know that
0: <laughs> that perplexes you for some reason, but I like but I, yes. well, he and I did some interviews together.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. you did. Yeah, yeah.
0: He called me. he, he told me to call him his my daddy and junior call me junior. Yeah.
1: See, he's got this cool personality, but it never came out. It yeah. never came out when he was in Seattle. He was in the studio once because he was there with Doug Baldwin. Gaston and I were interviewing Doug Baldwin. And yeah. he's just sitting in a chair and he would not come on. He just refused. Kevin Shockey kept asking him, just no desire to come on and do it. But now he's everywhere. What happened? Now well, this
0: he- guy shouldn't have let him in the studio.
1: Just say you have to sit out in the <laughs> yeah, waiting room. You tell him. You t- I could not believe how big that dude is for a running is back. He? Oh, he looks uh, like yeah. Bobby Wagner or yeah. something. You know, yeah. Anyway, Marshawn Lynch is everywhere, but yeah. in Seattle he wouldn't Did talk. you have a favorite commercial? from? I was actually... I did. I was actually,
0: for some reason, conditioned to think that there weren't going to be creative commercials. I because, was too. Because there were a lot of companies I heard that were passing yeah. and it wasn't right and they didn't want to spend the money. And yeah. It's just been a tough year in that regard. So maybe because my bar was so low compared to other... But I I thought that there were some good ones. I did too. I actually thought that there were some good ones.
1: I thought that T-Mobile one with Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani... You liked that. Very one. creative. Yeah. If well, that's... A-
0: a, I've seen it. That, that campaign is kind of new where they have somebody... A star, you can't, and it's breaking up on somebody's. Yeah, end. Yeah. And they're not getting the right message. Yeah, it's right? great. That's a great yeah, idea. It's a, it's I love it. Idea. And
1: they're actually yeah. engaged okay. in real life, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. that they, no, I did not. They know. really are. Yeah. Because it's they get yeah, took one. a lot of crap for it. It's kind of a weird couple. So yeah. That was good. I
0: didn't like the fact that Paramount Plus. I don't. I'm assuming that's like
1: Disney. That's yeah. their answer. Everyone's Disney Plus. got their own platform. I didn't, I didn't right. like
0: the the fact. And my golf buddies will understand. <laughs> I know what you're Why, Bryson DeChambeau? Did it have to be Bryson DeChambeau? It's
1: funny because I wasn't sure who it was, and then I saw the damn biceps on oh, him oh god uh, this guy's
0: enormous put dustin johnson in there please the sniper yeah put 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 uh rory McElroy, i guess rory McElroy. spieth maybe is he still good or no, no. no, no, no. until this weekend he was he has he's, he's fallen off the okay. planet but somebody besides put justin oh not justin thomas he had the the gay slur a couple weeks right ago. right um i don't know It bothered me that Bryson DeChambeau was on that
1: (laughs) on a Super Bowl commercial. I don't really I didn't know his name six months ago. Now he's on a super bowl commercial. Well, he won a
0: major and yeah. Yeah, he, he's burst onto the scene. There's no question he's about bursting
1: that. bursting out of his shirt, too, by the way. Holy Toledo, that guy's big. What other ones did you like? Beavis and Butthead killed me. I, well, I, that's the same one. That's the that's yeah. the
0: Paramount+. Plus. Crack,
1: yeah. when, he, they're, when they're laughing about crack. I'm, I'm a child, so it absolutely killed me. Did you
0: me. see John Cena on a Mountain Dew commercial? I did, as a matter of fact. He looked tight. What
1: happened to him? He looked old, and he looked smaller.
0: Skinny! Yeah. Bag yeah. of bones! I thought he was this big, huge guy! <laughs> well, what happened? I was like, I did a double take. I was like, I hope he hasn't been sick. He looked like he looked like he had lost. I know, like he went on the Weight Watcher, like he got gastric
1: with the, the the rubber band in his stomach. <laughs> yeah, or whatever. but but for muscle instead of fat. I mean, he never know. had any fat. Yeah, on yeah, him. he
0: wasn't fat, but yeah. he just he looked very like painfully. Th- I, I didn't even real for a second. I was like, is that him? And
1: I've heard wrestlers say, yeah, the get strongest. The well, no, I've heard him say the strongest wrestler in the WWE at the time. A lot of them would say John Cena that that that's how muscular this guy used to be. He's like six feet six. He's like six really? one, six two. Oh, I didn't know that. But plenty of wrestlers have said the strongest guy in the in the wrestling is John Cena. He's a he's a monster, but he looked it, something looked off about him. I I, I was. Weird. What was your favorite commercial? Well, the Beavis and Butthead one I laughed at, okay. but I love the Jason Alexander. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure you loved it. Oh yeah, did you like that one? Oh yeah. And did he look a little? Different at the end. Yeah, didn't? yeah, yeah. I
0: don't know what's going on.
1: Classic surgery, maybe? It did look plastic. He, did, su- he
0: didn't look the same. He looked new. <laughs> he
1: looked like Yeah, it was like a CGI version of him where yeah, it looked I don't, a little I don't know. off. It didn't look right. He I sounded he sounded like Of course favorite.
0: my favorite, I know that you're gonna make fun of me for this. My nah. favorite two were kind of the same. there were two sentimental ones that I really liked. The double amputee oh. swimmer. Oh my God. I know. Amazing. I had to have my wife knew that this was a, a real person. She knew the story. Oh really? I didn't know. Yeah, oh I gotta do we're gonna we're gonna dive it. The podcast is going in that direction. We're gonna try to find somebody. Good. That is an unbelievable story. I was like on yeah. the that was a, a very touching commercial. When, I like
1: that when, one. when the mom says like, she pauses, and you're you're wondering if she's going to go, well, maybe we shouldn't. Yeah. But, we, no,
0: then she says, we'll be happy, we, we, you know. It'll be a challenge, but we, 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 we can't and the, and the, wait gr- to meet her. Was, just the way they did that I commercial. I was pretty cool. I don't even know. It was Toyota, I guess it was. It was us. touching. So, that was that. And then there was actually one, I know, there was actually one, stop being Mitch, that was supposed to be funny, and it was funny, but I found touching. Okay. John Travolta in the Scotts Lawn commercial dancing yeah. with his daughter, yeah. and I was just thinking the whole commercial. What kind of year they've had? Lost the mother, right, to cancer. Uh, what was her name? Kelly Preston. Kelly Pre- What a terrible. And they yeah. lost another. They lost a kid yep. a few years ago. Damn. And I just, I don't know. I was That's while true. everybody was laughing at that commercial, just seeing him and his daughter, his real life daughter, dancing together, yep. doing the whatever the the, 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 the grease, grease thing. Yeah, oh. Yeah. And I was I was I was very t- was very touching because I know they've had a horrible
1: year. Yep. Horrible year. And I'm happy that he quit fighting the hair loss and just leaned into it. <laughs> just let it go, buddy. The, the, the wigs were too much. I'm glad he leaned into it. Just be bald. I haven't, I
0: haven't decided whether I think Tracy Morgan is funny or not. It's fine. hilarious.
1: He's he hilarious. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's absolutely right. You didn't think okay. of that Oh, by the way, that, that was a good one. Showing him all the things that Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I thought that was a really good How about good a
0: lemon one. of a year? How about all the lemons? The Lemon, did you like that one? I think one? I missed that one. How about Matthew McConaughey for the Doritos 3D? That was weird. It was just kind of he weird. It was a little thin, then he got yeah. caught in the thing. What is Doritos 3D? Uh, well, I think they're like puffed up a bit. And what's inside? We were talking about it as a family. Oh. We were discussing this. Probably just
1: air, I guess. I don't know. What you do you, want
0: mean? To, you want to know how, how well commercials work on the Levy family? <laughs> yeah. So Garth, rock on, man. What is that? Uh, Garth and Wayne's Garth? World. Wayne's yeah. World. Yeah, yeah. That thing comes on, and that's for DoorDash. And it says <laughs> you got 10 minutes for free delivery. Oh. We just... Okay, that's all let's you go! Had to, let's
1: go! That's all you had to hear? Oh, my God.
0: We stopped... <laughs> Yeah, what do we got? And you know, Max is like six minutes, six minutes oh god. To thirty seconds. I'm like, what do you want to get? Everybody's like going through the thing. I don't know what we should get. How long do we have? Two thirty. We got to get it in. we were
1: like trying to beat the buzzer. No one's even hungry in the house. You just had to get the deal. We had just eaten five minutes earlier. <laughs>
0: I know. We got to get it in. Right. DoorDash is free for the next ten minutes. I guess oh my god. advertising was, works. Oh my god, it's beautiful.
1: I, I really appreciated the uh, commercial with Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher and Shaggy. You probably don't know from Shaggy. Did you recognize that? Story? Song. I
0: ask. See, this is the thing. I, I'm glad I have my kids next to me because every time there's somebody in a, a commercial uh, or a halftime show, yeah. they tell me who it is. Yes, they told me that it was Shaggy. It was a cute commercial yeah, yeah, yeah. of her saying that she wasn't eating. It wasn't knows, me. Was his it was, famous yeah, song. That's right. About, oh, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, he had a song about yeah. cheating and getting caught and yeah. then telling it wasn't it, me. It wasn't me. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah, was yeah. that was cool. Shaggy, yeah. by the way, ex-marine. My friend was at basic training with him and he was always You've got
0: a lot of friends that know everybody <laughs> it's, but
1: he was Why always can't we get
0: them on he was instead he was, of
1: you he was always singing and they're always telling him to shut the how F about up. the springsteen essay i took shit Touching. for it i took shit for it i can't no? i can't win with people
0: i don't know what they want from me what do you mean you took shit for it well you
1: said you liked it or you don't like it well
0: oh it's political
1: is it because yeah it is it's political i tweeted before it was done it was funny because... It the, is political. The commercial yeah. came on. My my it's wife Jeep. I don't
0: know how Jeep gets in the middle of this, but uh, go ahead. Yeah.
1: The commercial comes on. My, my wife walks by the TV and goes, Oh, hold on. I want to hear this. And it, I, I noticed that I'm not a big Bruce Springsteen fan at all. I don't really care for his music that much. Even the hits from the 80s, I didn't really like... Right. right. My wife's not a fan. I'm a fan. But we both stopped and had to hear what Bruce had to say for some reason. Yeah. So I, I tweeted that out. I, I think it's because... Well since you're not a
0: Bruce Springsteen fan maybe this won't resonate with you i'm i am a Bruce Springsteen fan it's which more makes of an sense East Coast. because the music you like i don't and vice versa but yeah. but um you don't see he's not a commercialized maybe guy. that's it yeah and so when he does something like that it was like I was like hold on is that Springsteen yeah. I was like surprised well so you, you get it, he gets your I think he gets yeah. your attention because he's like the last guy that you would expect to be in a commercial like that
1: I tweeted out I'm not a huge fan of Bruce's music but when he talks I listen oh yeah oh, I, oh yeah I, you would have yeah. thought I you know yeah. I fire. you the know how old Bruce
0: Springsteen is yeah I know he's
1: like 70 oh I think he's older than that no I know, it's gonna is he over than 70 it's gonna break your heart when, when I tell we, you when we
0: he was on Saturday Night live earlier in the year I asked my wife how old is he and she, she told me and I was like I couldn't believe how old he was he does not look it he looks great for his age what is, what is he I'm 70? surprised you're a fan I am I am and I I, enjoy I, I, it. I think I, I'm not a I'm not a super fan like Springsteen's got fans like the Grateful Dead have fans they that have seen him oh, I know fa- yeah. like Peter King has seen him 46 That's times right. yeah, yeah. A, and keeps every ticket stub whatever <laughs> right. I've seen him like twice maybe once or twice i saw him at the last time i saw him was at the
1: key arena actually oh okay before it was 71 so you're right yeah 71 71 71 years old, 71 years old. he still tours when you could tour and he still yeah. kicks ass but yeah I've, to be fair to him i've never dug into his collection so i don't i don't if, really know if his you're music.
0: done with commercials i'll tell you my favorite super bowl story of the week okay are you done with commercials or did you have anything else i can be done okay good let's go to let's go to that. my favorite super bowl story of the week have you ever heard the name zach mascovich do you know that name? No. I don't know why I love this story so much. You're going to like say, eh, it's a cute story, but was, I just love this story. So Zach, so you know about all the proposition gambling on the Super Bowl. Of course. That there's crazy,
1: crazy games. I was, and, and I was actually know, thinking, was there a bet that said Mahomes will throw in zero touchdowns? That yes, was, there was. Oh,
0: there was. Yes, and it was covered <laughs> on uh, – it was covered on – 128p you didn't listen to Michael Payne Purdom I I sure I'm go sure back. i go back I think he mentions a uh, like a 20 to 1 or a 13 oh, to 1 on zero, on zero touchdown passes wow. there's there was a bet on him zero touchdown passes that okay. Michael Payne Purdom talked about and there was a bet on on Tom Brady six or more touchdowns yeah I remember
1: him I remember so him saying about that them. okay but
0: anyway one one of the bets is coin flip yep there's a, a lot of money comes in on the coin flip and the other one that's kind of controversial that some books don't take, I guess, in the United States or whatever, is the length of the national anthem. Mm. And they set an over-under based on who the performer is and the song. Vegas sets an over-under, and you can bet, or I guess Vegas doesn't, die. It's, there's some discrepancy on who actually takes this bet, but you've heard this, the over-under of, course, of yeah, the yeah. national anthem. It was sitting at like 158 for the longest time, it, whoever took the bet. It was one minute and 58 seconds. Okay. So Zach Mascovich, ask me who Zach Mascovich is. Who the hell is
1: Zach Mascovich? Zach
0: Mascovich is an Orlando TV reporter who was covering his first Super Bowl because it was in Tampa. And he goes on Tuesday. Maybe you've heard this. He goes on Tuesday and he's doing his things from the stadium. And he's getting back into his car late in the afternoon or early evening to leave. And he's in, a, in an empty, you can picture COVID, in an empty parking lot. Nobody's there. Right outside the stadium. And he's about to drive home. Okay. When he hears the dress rehearsal of the national anthem. Oh, boy. On Tuesday. Insider information. He takes out his phone. <laughs> oh, no. This is fantastic. He takes out his phone, and he takes out either another phone or a stopwatch, and he, 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 tw- he takes a video of himself in the car timing the national – well, you can hear it in the back timing oh, yeah. the national anthem, and it comes out to 2 minutes and 18 seconds, and he says – he tweets out. He's got like, I don't know, 2,000 followers. He tweets out like, okay, gamblers, here you go. Two minutes and eighteen, and the over-under is one fifty eight, and they're yeah, doing yeah. the they're doing the frickin' rehearsal. <laughs> he t- and apparently the world of gambling was turned all but one this one guy. The world of gambling was turned upside down. <laughs> I'm sure. People are trying to get in wagers. Uh, you know, online gambling oh houses are God. pulling it down. Yeah, they can't yeah. get down fast enough, you know. People are just oh. like in the, it went crazy. only in 2021, right? right in 1970. Right. 20, this guy, this kid this young kid just ch- just changed the whole dynamic of Amazing. the gambling world with one tweet of him of and as it turns out it was 2 minutes and 28 seconds it was max, max timed it yeah so he was pretty close they didn't obviously it was faster when they did the dress rehearsal but yeah yeah but he that's uh, crazy anybody who had the over if you were covering <laughs> if you were if you were following Zach Maskovich, you knew what was going to happen there that's you go. some great insider info right there we're all, we're right all there. looking we're all looking, and it actually reminds me of a gambling story, which I I don't, I, I don't, I'm not proud of, but it was fun. I actually knew many, 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 many years ago. I'm not even going back to college. I actually wagered on the winner of the slam dunk contest in the NBA, like 25, 30, not 35 years ago. Okay, or maybe like when Jordan,
1: when Dominique, it was a
0: really that? long time ago. Okay, because I knew the bookie didn't know that it already happened, and I knew, and I knew it won. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And you made money? He didn't know. I got to tell you this. Story. <laughs> I know we're running. The show. Artie Lang, the comedian, tells a story sure, sure. about him when he was like in his 20s. He had a bookie, okay? And him and his buddies would put in bed That's with That's shocking bookie. that Artie Lang right. would have a bookie. So every Friday, they'd go and meet at like a McDonald's. They'd meet the middleman, and they'd either pick up money or pay. Sure. Every Friday. Sure. His idiot. I, think I
0: know this story.
1: Oh, do you? Okay. Well His idiot friend realized that there was always an afternoon hockey game. That the bookie didn't know about. He just saw all the <laughs> hockey games, but this kid's putting in like like ten times, you know, just being like a greedy parlay and just being a greedy asshole. The he, book—he didn't subtly do it to no, keep no. it alive. No, of course he's like twenty-two. What are you? You're an idiot. Right. So the the, <laughs> the middleman calls up calls up Artie and says, "Look." Um, you, I'm not meeting you this time. You're, you're going to meet so-and-so. You're going to meet the bookie. Oh, shit. And they, had, they had never met him. He was always the middleman. He goes, oh, look, I, we figured, we found out what your friend's doing. Just know you're going to get yelled at. Yeah. All right? He's not happy. He's pissed off. Ooh. All right? So him and his buddy go to, go to McDonald's. Not the guy who was actually betting, but another buddy. Yeah. And they're sitting there, and the bookie's like, you know, 55, balding, kind of yeah. fat. Like, what you picture, you know, he's there. <laughs> But and, he doesn't
0: have knuckles and Vito there ready to break your legs. He may
1: in the parking lot, <laughs> but the, the, the part that killed Artie was he goes, look, I I, I know what you, what your friend's doing, and if he does it again, I'm gonna find his family, I'm gonna kill them. I'm gonna, if they have kid, I'm gonna kill every. I'm you know he's just going off about, the, and Artie looks up and the guy had a big ash smudge on his forehead. He just went to the freaking church on <laughs> ashwood <laughs> He's talking about committing murder and he's got ashes on his forehead. His wife probably dragged him there on the way to go meet two jerk-offs at a McDonald's. I love that story. He's talking about committing murder, about gambling, and he's got the big cross on his forehead. Oh, my God. That story kills me. Anyway, I had to share that. I love that story. It's one of my favorites. Oh, Lord. All right. Are we moving on? Tom Flores. Tom Flores, ex seahawk coach. Hall of Fame. How about that? Along with Peyton
0: Manning, Charles Woodson, Megatron, Calvin Johnson, John Litch, Alan Fanica, Tom Flores. Yes, Hall of Fame. At the same time, we found out that Aaron Rodgers is the MVP and Aaron Donald is the defensive player of the year.
1: Speaking of the Rams, I saw a story I don't like as a Seahawk fan from Schefter. That as soon as as soon as Stafford got to the Rams, he started getting text messages like crazy from other players who want to come join him in the sun and Hollywood and new a new stadium. Team. Is this team just? Is going to we'll be see. Tampa Bay? Well, next Let's just
0: see. I mean, he is Matt Stafford. I mean, he's not Michael Jordan. Okay, fine. He's not LeBron but- James. He is yeah. Matt Stafford. I, I, I'm on record as saying the Rams. I don't know what other Rams personnel issues that face them this offseason, but uh, I, they are going to be really tough. Yeah. If they if they can keep that team intact for one more year with St- I think you know people think of Stafford as a loser. I don't. I know that he lost a lot in Detroit. I think he's a a. a I think the Rams with that defense. And Matt Stafford throwing to Robert Brooks and Cooper Cup.
1: With a renewed and those tight vigor. tight ends. Yeah, I know. By the way, Aaron Rodgers got engaged. So happy. Yeah, he,
0: well, he announced it when he got the <laughs> yeah, MVP. I, was- I didn't like, I'll tell you what I didn't like. Kay. Aaron Donald won the Defensive Player of the Year. And uh, I don't know if it was controversial, but there were some people that thought that T.J. Watt okay. should have won. You know T.J. Watt Steelers. is? He's the brother of J.J. Yeah, who's yeah. won it a bunch of times. Well, J.J., whom I love. I love JJ. Yeah, yeah. I love everything he stands for. Great football player, great guy, great, great off guy. the field, everything. He went out and started sending, and I guess it's okay. It's his little brother. He was like sending out tweets and stats, like how, how with all due respect to Aaron Donald, here are the numbers. Here's the pass pressures. Ugh. He was really pushing his brother, like his brother got robbed. What? And yes, his brother had slightly better stats in most of the the pass rushing categories. What? 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 JJ did not include was that Aaron Donald is an interior defensive lineman (laughs) and his little brother is an edge rusher. Right. Okay. Right. He actually proved the point. What I wanted to tweet back, if I thought that J.J. Watt would have received this tweet, I would have. (laughs) What J.J. Watt actually did by putting the numbers up there was prove even further why Aaron Donald deserved it over his the fact that his brother was close. The, the fact that Aaron Donald was close to his brother from <laughs> getting double and triple teamed. Right. You know, lining up over the center. In the a gap right. to, to the guy who's coming yeah. off the edge. Yeah, right. I mean, do I, I mean, come on now.
1: Do the stats come on now, JJ? Do the stats show how many times he stuffed the run? And I mean, he's just a beast. Aaron Donald might be the
0: best, and I think Lawrence Taylor is the greatest defensive player I ever saw. Yep. Maybe Reggie White, but I think Lawrence Taylor. Uh, I'm starting to think that Aaron Donald is the best. The best defensive player I ever saw. Deion Sanders, I think, is in the mix yeah. because he's, no one threw on Deion Sanders.
1: Yeah.
0: Aaron Donald, when you look at how many guys – I mean, he's just un—he's uncanny. I anyway. Know. He's a beast. So that rubbed me a little, a little the wrong way. What yeah. else was going to say? Congratulations to, to Russell. Do we want to talk about Russell Wilson and the trade rumors, or should we, should we save that
1: for 129p? Let's save it. I got four RIPs we got to get to. We don't have to. Over over, over Russell Wilson <laughs> yeah, traded. More important. Well, that's going to take some time, Russell Wilson. And yeah. I kind of want to see what, what comes out in the next day or two. It's probably just a nothing, right? The fact that... I mean, people probably call John Schneider every day for people. For Russell Wilson. I, I, just, just you
0: have to Yeah, ask. this is probably for 129P for our next show. But I, I just... The notion... I, I just want to say this, and maybe you'll say this is you being skeptical. The notion that if you believe that John Schneider is not willing to listen to trade offers for Russell Wilson, please, please don't interpret John Schneider's not interested to John Schneider's not willing to listen. Mm. In fact, I don't even believe John Schneider's not interested. With all due respect to Russell Wilson, I love Russell Wilson. Right. I think if it weren't for Russell Wilson, they'd probably not even be close to the playoffs. Okay? He's great. We all love him. John Schneider would listen to any offer that's called on Russell Wilson, and he and I believe he'd be interested to listen to any. That I doesn't mean he'd do it. Yeah. But there's a deal for Russ. If you don't think there's a deal for Russell Wilson, what are we living in a fantasy world here? Right. He's not. He's not like the greatest quarterback on the face of the earth. That's twenty-five years old anymore. Right. Okay. There's there's a deal. If somebody called and said, "Here's three first-round draft choices and, and two second-round draft choices and a play," I mean, there's a deal sure. that John Schneider would do for I just don't want to hear that John Schneider would would not even would not even honor the. the Entertain
1: the. Caller. Yeah. yeah. Oh, come on. Right. No, you're right. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Players better than him have been traded, right? Of course. Yeah.
0: One is going to be traded in the next. Well, if Houston trades Deshaun Watson. I mean, Deshaun Watson, you might say, is not better than Russell Wilson. It's probably arguable. Deshaun Watson's 25 yeah, freaking years old. Yeah. 25 years old. <laughs> right, better stock. An all pro at 25. Yeah. Okay? There, there's a deal that John Schneider would do. And on top of it all, on top of it all, there's this rumor that's been percolating for a a couple of, about maybe a year, that in 2018, John Schneider was willing to trade Russell Wilson for the number one overall pick in the draft. Mm -hmm. Now, that's never been substantiated or confirmed, and maybe we don't believe that to be true. But if it was, if there's any semblance or if there's any shred of honesty to that story, then you're telling me two or three years later, Russell Wilson three years later, there's literally no deal on the face (laughs) of the earth that John Schneider wouldn't trade Russell Wilson, I'm not saying he's going to get traded. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's not be naive here, okay? There's a deal. There's a deal that they would do. Now, the problem, the overall problem with the whole theory of him being traded is he would literally cost more against the cap. See if you can figure this one out, Eastgate State. He would literally cost more against the cap if they traded him. His number with with him not here would be more against the cap than it is with him here.
1: Did I did, did I lose you? No, I say that again. I, I know what you're saying, but I'm trying to figure out how that works.
0: Dead money, okay. because of the money that accumulates, part of the signing bonus that he got, and so forth. Oh. he would literally count. I think. I want to say he would count something like thirty something million against the against the cap for a guy you don't have for a guy that you don't have.
1: <laughs> Jeez, for
0: a guy that you don't have.
1: See, I just so, assumed that they would just take it. They take it all on, and they're I, I didn't know about dead money. You and, can't.
0: They can wow. take they can take a salary on yeah. but you can't take on what you already gave him in guarantees and upfront money when you give you Ugh. know when you give a guy 50 60 70 to sign or whatever it is yeah now you've given that to him you got you've got that's got to go on the ledger whether you've got him or not you've paid him that money yeah you got that counts against your cap for for the uh, the length of the contract so there there may be reasons why they they financially maybe can't but yeah I don't want to hear that John Schneider is hanging up the phone <laughs> right. on other GMs because they have the audacity to call
1: and ask about Russell Wilson. Right. Okay. If anything, he's not doing his job right. If he's not even going to entertain not. offers. Of course not. Yeah, you yeah. listen. Right. You listen. Yeah. If the Jets want to give you five first rounders, <laughs> hello. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. All right. Are we? Are we? Are we moving Tom, on? Yeah,
0: we can move on. Yeah, Tom Brady, on. Tom Brady. Tom Brady mean tweets. Yes. No, I didn't see that. Jimmy
1: Kimmel's. I, I mean, love the bit, but I, I didn't see it.
0: Let's talk about it. Let's put it, put it on the list. Okay.
1: Pretty funny? Oh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you, you don't want to, I,
0: I try so hard not to like him. Right. That it kind of hurt me, this this mean tweet. It, people that don't know what mean tweets are, Jimmy Kimmel has celebrity people that get hammered in social media, get on camera and actually read them. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good idea for it's a bit. It's a great idea yeah, for a bit. Yeah. And Tom Brady is great at it. Is he? Yeah. And he reads some really atrocious ones.
1: Well, he's been doing it for 20... People have been ripping it almost, on him for 20 years. He
0: almost, he almost seems human.
1: <laughs> Maybe I know he's been, he, he,
0: This robot <laughs> almost seems human, so watch Tom Brady mean tweets okay. for episode 129P. Love it. Okay? All right. What do you got?
1: George Shultz, rest, um, rest in peace. He was President Reagan's sure. secretary of... I didn't even secretary know... Secretary of
0: State? Yeah, Secretary George, of State. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, one of the yeah. most prolific statesmen in American sure. history. He sure. passed away. Yeah. He was 100... Hundred. I I remember watching the uh, second Reagan inauguration with Rickles and Schultz is sitting in the. I mean, that was you know a long time. It was thirty six years ago. I so I didn't even know he was he was still alive. So I had a nice life. Hundred. So rest in peace to him. Yeah. Leon Spinks. Sixty seven. Yep. I I knew you would know him.
0: Nineteen seventy six gold medal. One of the greatest teams that ever were assembled. Boxing teams. Nineteen seventy six. Michael Spinks. Leon Spinks. Mm. A sugar. Ray Leonard was on that team. Howard Davis or some Tacoma people on that team. team. It was an unbelievable team of a bunch of guys that went on to great professional careers. He was one of the guys that eight fights into his professional career. He upset Muhammad Ali. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. At Leon Sp- It's hard to. It's hard for me to fathom that he was 67 years old and that he's gone. Yeah. Hard. I know that he had a tough life, and I know that he went broke, and I know that he was sick for a long time, and battling cancer for just five years. Just the idea, because it just feels like. I just can't believe it's already that many years ago that he fought Ali. I remember watching the Ali Leon Spinks fight, he beat the first him. one, and then he came back. Ali came back in the rematch and beat him. It took, was a split
1: a, decision win. Was it controversial, or did, did he beat him?
0: I think he really beat him, and I think they, they, they made it a little bit closer than it was. Oh, okay. I think Spinks
1: beat him. He yeah. really beat him, and yeah. then you said Ali came back. Came and back and beat him, yeah. Okay. And then
0: Spinks was never the same, and he lost to Larry Holmes, and mm-hmm. yeah, he lost to Dwight Muhammad Kwawi. I mean, he, he was uh, – and then Michael Spinks' his little brother became a heavyweight right? And, uh, and did some good things until he ran into a guy by the name of Mike Tyson, Yes. Michael Spinks ran into Mike Tyson, and that did not end well. He ran into Tyson's fist
1: a few about, times. About 40 seconds into the first round. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. And, and he lifted his head off the canvas, and his eyes were going in different directions.
1: Yeah. That was bad. Yeah. yeah. Leon Spinks, the only one to take the belt from Muhammad Ali. Only one to beat him when Ali was champion. Yeah, I didn't that's know awesome. that. That's a that's a that's a pretty cool thing Nine, to have. Yeah. All right, actor Christopher Plummer. Yep, ninety one. We all know old. who he is. Yep. Start in the, the hills Sound are of alive. Head. That's yep. exactly right. Yeah, he passed away peacefully in his home in Connecticut on Friday. Yep. He was in like a hundred movies. I mean, if yep. you don't know Christopher Plummer, yep. it, remember the Thorn Birds came out, and I think he actually won. Yeah, he scored a Best Supporting Actor um, Oscar for two 2000- thousand. Oh, and in two thousand and ten, he won an Oscar for Beginners. But he was in a million things, Christopher Plummer. So, all right, I kind of want to do my last one, and then come back to my last R.I.P. If that's cool. I don't know. I just I don't know how I'm gonna transition. That's up to you. Okay. Because only
0: you know what your story is, and it better yeah. not involve evol- a Florida man. And only you know who your last R.I.P. is, <laughs> oh, so I don't know.
1: Second to last, rest in peace to the natural Butch Reed, a wrestler. You don't care. Don't a lot of people know who Butch Reed is. I didn't Reed say is. I don't
0: care. I care when somebody passes away. I don't yeah. know who he
1: is. He was a big part of my That's childhood. something he
0: different was... than not caring.
1: Okay, all right. Well, yeah. he actually played football for the Kansas City Chiefs. He was... Oh, then I really cared. <laughs> he was huge, Butch Reed, so rest in peace to him. All right, a Japanese restaurant in Brazil... You with me so far? A Japanese restaurant accused of hosting as a, as a, as opposed to a Brazilian steakhouse in Factoria, <laughs> correct? In, in China. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, a Japanese restaurant a Japanese in Brazil yeah. accused of hosting a sex party amid the coronavirus pandemic. Staff allegedly got it on on the tables where customers had earlier eaten. So the restaurant's open and then they they close to the the customers and then they allow this to go on. A Brazilian Twitter account posted pictures claiming the event took place at Izakaya Hoyotan. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. The restaurant's owner admitted it. He made jokes about it at first and then took a lot of crap and he apologized. So he said, although I always take care with cleaning and hygiene and safety protocols, I'm looking for a professional disinfection company so that there is no (laughs) doubt or concern and zeal for the restaurant and everything that involves it. So uh, the, the Piranha State Justice Department said they are already aware of it and they're opening an inquiry I, you know, to investigate you know what, I, what I happened. I
0: don't believe that this happened. You're going to have to send me the pictures.
1: <laughs> to, to believe prove me it. it. I looked. I looked. I found one that was blurred out. Like, what good is that? Um, oh. Anyway, I was wondering, is that how the Lazy Susan got its name? But <laughs> <laughs> if these sorts yeah. of shenanigans are going on in restaurants, uh. I'm stoked to visit In-N-Out Burger. Maybe this is why... <laughs> da- <laughs> Maybe this is why teriyaki restaurants are always closed on Sundays. I always wondered why. You can never get teriyaki on Sundays. All right, and finally, I don't think this is what the customers had in mind when reading the sign. Best noodles in town. Mm. All right, I'm done. You sniffed. Oh, I had another funny story about a woman who called 911 after her fake ID was confiscated at a bar. You can imagine... She had a fake ID to get into a bar. And she
0: called 911.
1: She was pissed that they had her we'll ID.
0: T- hold it for 129. Oh, P. my God. Hold it for 120. Okay. We need, we need material. You know, we're doing three hours now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need material. Then we're going to get to 129P on Wednesday night, and you're going to be looking at me, and I'm going to be looking at you like, okay, what are we talking about? We right. already talked about everything on 129. Now we got, got to have plenty of things. Did, by the way, did you see that there's a guy on, on Kansas City named Pringle? Yes.
1: wide receiver? Yes. Did you see my tweet? I did, as a matter of fact, yes. He made a great tackle I saw it. You wonder what his family eats during the game. Is that what you said? God. He made a great shoestring
0: tackle yeah. on a punt return. Yeah. And I asked the question, the Pringles must be very, very happy with their son. I wonder what they're munching on. Right. God. It's good stuff. 98-year-old oh, okay. joke.
1: All right. I, old man humor. I, I need to read this. I, I think you're going to appreciate it. I, I really this do. It's an RIP. Yes. Frank Shankwitz, which is kind of similar to the name of the guy you said earlier. When Don't you, tell me he died after he did the anthem. No. Okay, this guy, he was an Arizona Highway Patrol officer. Yeah. He heard about a boy named Chris Gracious back in 1980, okay? You'd be like, okay, it's like my age. The child had end-stage leukemia and wanted to be a motorcycle cop when he grew up just like Ponch and John. From the TV show Chips. Chips. We all loved that show as kids, right? No, I didn't. But okay, no. well, normal kids loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, wanted to make, <clears throat> Frank wanted to make Chris's dream come true, but thought the boy might not be physically up for the adventure, saying I thought he'd be brought out in a wheelchair. And I was surprised when he opened the car door and a pair of sneakers emerged. He just heard sick, and he thought the kid, you know, but the kid was able to, like, be a kid and it kind of hit him weird that he's deathly sick but he's this kid full of energy it's kind of sad so uh chip stars eric estrada and larry wilcox later autographed a photo for chris but by the time he went to give it to him chris had fallen into a coma Uh, it's called a a light coma chris hung his uniform by the bed and when frank pinned the badge on his shirt the kid woke up and asked am i an official motorcycle cop now and frank said you sure are Uh. chris died later that day not here to bum you out. I, this, this man we're talking about here is a, he's a great man. A few months later, Frank created the Make-A-Wish Foundation. More than 315,000 children in the United States have had their dreams come true as a result of Frank's efforts. You're kidding. Today, the org has 64 chapters in the U.S. and 36 wow. chapters internationally. I
0: didn't know you were headed here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he passed yeah. away. I mean, that, you love that charity like oh. I do. It's, yeah. He passed away at his home in Prescott, Arizona, coming to esophageal cancer. Frank passed away. On, at at uh, what age? uh 77 his wife the was founder
0: of Make-A-Wish Foundation
1: co-founder but he it was like his idea wow. because of that way it just like hit him weird like okay yes kids are sick but they're still kids like it, you know it just kind of hit him like wow. he wasn't expecting that ball of energy to come flying out of the car and he just he wanted to do something cool for him and that's when he got the so idea nice. to create the Make-A-Wish so Foundation nice. so there very you nice. go rest in peace to Frank Shankwitz a great man there you are that's very nice there you go that, i thought you'd appreciate that yeah
0: that was very emotional i don't i don't think of you as an emotional fellow
1: my wife picked it out, the story. I'm going to no, go. I'm, <laughs> I'm very emotional. Yes.
0: I'm going to go um, add a little weekend to my uh, playlist. Oh, yeah. He's
1: pretty good at weekend. Huh? Yeah. He's on to something with his 19 top 40 hits. <laughs> I mean, God. All right. There you go.
0: Uh, that was a long one, episode 129. Well, that good. might be it. Maybe that's the one to end on. Maybe there'll be no 130.
1: That's it? That's Maybe our, we our ought to contemplate song? just, you know, saying goodbye. As you know, I'm uh, traveling Wednesday, so I hope that's, I... A, good, that's
0: a good time to quit. I, it really is. will come back. There'll be no show.
1: <laughs> I'll never see you again. Episode
0: 129 in the books. <laughs>